Hello, everybody, and welcome to Weekly Manga Recap here on October the 11th of 2017. Spooky time. Speaking to you, Halloween Horror Month. It's the spookiest day of the year, Nick. Uh, which is to say any day in October. The spookiest of months. Yes, that's... that's... Unless you are alone, in which case it's February. I'm going to do that next month for February. It's just going to be a bunch of boo-based puns, but for how everyone's alone. (laughs) You still just say boo. It's like, don't you mean boo-leech I'm alone? (laughs) (laughs) Don't you mean boo-ega is all alone this week? See, this week, boo-ega works, Nick. Yeah, it does. Yeah, Yeah, see? Yeah, it's, it's all about, it's about timing more than anything else. I don't want to like, you know, bore you with the the nuances of pun-based art punology, as we like to call it. I don't. Which I'm, I'm I don't, studying I, for I, my I doctorate. Of. I, did, I admit I don't understand it, but now that you know you've made it at a time when the time is right, I do feel it. I feel how right you are about this. Exactly. Which is why I actually have help this week because it wouldn't be enough just to uh, just to do spooky uh, puns. Because look, we're getting close to Halloween month. We need other spooky sayings, so that's why I picked up the help of this Hallmark uh, Frankenstein, (laughs) who you're meant to keep next to your toilet, and he has various toilet-related spooky sayings to give you. So every so often, uh, if we need to, we can. Uh, come to ask, to yeah. uh, yeah, what joking in the John thinks about things. Like, what do you say about things right now, joking in the John? Me no hurry, <laughs> me no hassle. This your throne and this your castle. Just relax, friend. Let it flow now. And be sure to wash your hands before you go now. <laughs> That wasn't go, spooky at all. That was very helpful and inviting. <laughs> oh, uh, hey, also, just take your time. You know, relax yourself so the constipation doesn't set in, and wash your hands. No, that does, thank you, Frankie. <laughs> also, the only toilet paper is the cost of your eternal soul. That part <laughs> he didn't have the time to give you that part, but you know. Oh man, what a choice that would be! <laughs> please, please don't do anything. Just a little bit of toilet paper. He's like, you just, want a contract? Just cost a little bit of your soul. <laughs> like, oh, it was a wet one. I probably should. <laughs> oh man. Um, speaking of shit, uh, <laughs> that's a little bit harsh. Um, is it? The series that we took as a recommendation for this week for Halloween month was Fort of Apocalypse, which is a zombie apocalypse manga uh, with the added little uh, gimmick that our main characters are inmates at a junior correctional facility. A maximum security one, apparently, for like the worst of the kids under 18 and stuff. And... Uh, so zombie apocalypse breaks out, and at first it seems as though it's going to be like, oh, well, they're in this prison, which is not only their prison, it is also their fortress, and they need to defend themselves. But they go outside the, the prison a whole lot during the series, so not it's, quite so much. I and think, like, what, chapter four, they break out? They leave, and, it, like, as soon as the zombie apocalypse breaks out, basically, and then they come back for a little bit, and then yeah. they leave again. <laughs> yeah, they, they, they leave at first, and they're like, 
oh, shit's awful here. Let's just go back. And then they hang back, and then eventually it's like, I guess this just isn't going to work out either, and we'll <laughs> we'll flubber around here for a while until the end. Basically, yes. So, uh, da, 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 da. it's going to be a little bit difficult to talk about this series, honestly, because I wrote it all in like one night, like a week ago. It's uh, it's not a boring manga, um, but it goes by really quickly. And honestly, there's not a whole lot to write home about, aside from one or two ideas that are kind of we- kind of interesting, and also the fact that there's a lot to talk about in terms of. Well, your zombies are just like hardly even zombies, then, aren't they? <laughs> Here's the thing: I I initially was really excited about this series because I I like the sort of premise it sets up, where it's like we have a predetermined number of people. There's 144 people, 124 prisoners, and 20 guards in this prison. And the chapters always would end with a countdown of how many people were still alive, how many people were still unturned. And this premise was set up, the fort of Apocalypse, that these people are trapped in the prison, and they're just kind of trying to survive. Um, you just, I feel like you can do a lot with that premise when you set up a, a limited number of people. So you're kind of seeing a casket whittled down. It was very obvious that the four characters were, you know, introduced to at the start are going to be the main characters. So it'll be kind Probably of about last the longest. In yeah. General. And when they differentiate between guards and prisoners too, you're also like, okay, well, what, you know, what factor does that bring into it? Like, I think by the end of like the fourth chapter, only two guards are left. So you're like, okay, maybe those two guards will be like really important characters and things like that. No. I was I was just kind of excited by that premise. But there's a lot going on in this series. Because it's mm-hmm. not just that it has that premise going on. It also has that Maeda is in there for unjust reasons that he was like it's a conspiracy that he was thrown into this prison. He's not he didn't do it. He just saw the guy who did it. And you guys don't understand. And it's also like, oh hey. And our zombies are special. And not just they're special, they're not really zombies, they're like seven other things combined together, and there's like an alien element to it, and they turn into things occasionally, and it's very, very strange. There's a lot going on in this series. And it mostly kind of just boils down to these things exist for kind of gruesome shock body horror imagery. You know, Which there's not even even comparatively speaking, there's not a whole lot of it. I don't think. No, I, and this isn't like hostile or even like Saw, where you're like watching people mutilate themselves or something like that. It's basically if you like seeing or if 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 you find the idea of like somebody that's like, I guess maybe like Attack on Titan, where you're like seeing somebody eat someone else, like another human. If that disturbs you, this is along the same lines, except they're not mm. giants generally that that are doing it. It's other people. But it's a lot of that same thing of like a person with a human face who's just like unhinging their jaw and just latching onto another person's face to the point where you're just like, are they snake people now? Like, how are they opening their mouths this wide? You know, like, I guess they're aliens. I don't know. But there's there's a lot of that imagery to it that basically kind of encompasses the horror of this series along with just having a cast of kind of edgy douche characters. It's, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's, I don't know the nicer way to describe them, but they're, they're a group that really isn't too admirable. At least two of them are kind of just enormous dickheads through and through. Yeah. 
out of the four of them, uh, you've got Maeda, the main character, who is, you know, your kind of typical sort of cowardly but has a good heart kid. Uh, then you've got Yoshi, Yoshioka, who is just kind of a douche, really. Um, that's kind of his whole character. That the, that's uh, the long hair guy, right? That's the long hair guy. Then there's Newman, who thinks that he's better than everyone else because he's an intellectual and he, you know, he's in, he's uh, a glasses in guy. He's a glasses guy. Uh, and then you've got, uh, Iwakura, who is kind of this, he's kind of like Chad, I would think that I would say. That's probably the easiest comparison to make is that he's this big guy who's pretty quiet. A lot of a lot of the other inmates think that he's dull and kind of stupid, but really he just kind of like has a very simple simple way of looking at things. Um, and the four of them are together in this one cell, and Maeda is introduced at the beginning of the series when at the same time that he is put in this prison and joins their little group. Uh. And there's only really one other prisoner, one other inmate in the whole facility that you get to know over the course of the series. And he's kind of odd because like he, there's this whole backstory where like he was in a car, involved in a car accident and somehow through, there's an explanation that doesn't seem quite complete. He can see two seconds into the future. Um, and then there's some other characters that, you know, become part of the survivors group and stuff. And yeah, like you said, it starts off with this countdown kind of thing where, uh, you know, you start off with, yeah, 140 characters and they have a whole bunch of them die at the beginning. Later on, uh, you know, the inmates are a bunch of idiots and they're just like, oh, we should open this window. Oh no! And like, you know. <laughs> A bunch of them start to start to just just start a fight with uh, Maeda and and the the rest of the group, and another twenty of them die. Um, and then, however, like like we said, like in like the fourth chapter or something, they bust out of the prison. Um, just the four of them in like a van, I think, and they just go looking around. They're trying to find Maeda's uh, family. Uh, because, uh, he, he like, hears, talks with them on the phone, and, uh, it's like, no, no, they're probably dead because you heard that the, she was okay, and then she, you heard that she wasn't okay, but whatever. They meet with some other characters to become part of their group, uh, go back to the, pr- to the prison, um, and more stuff happens, and then things get kind of weird, because it becomes less of a survival horror story and then becomes a, so it's the human race is evolving and there is this per, this more perfect being that can control the zombies and draw them together. And uh, they move around in like a wave of corpses and stuff and they have to fight that. And then there's a cult that appears that worships this perfect figure. And then it turns out that they have to go outside the prison in order to get a cure. And the entire concept of the survivors and the dwindling uh, number of them gets dropped pretty much completely by about three quarters into this uh, story. And even up to that point from like the moment that they, they like have gotten back to the, the prison to when they leave again, it just kind of becomes an afterthought. It doesn't really matter. Yeah. Uh, so, 
I, I was going into this kind of expecting something along the lines of like Cradle of Monsters, that series we did a few years ago. That's uh, the, the Poseidon Adventure one, right? Right. Yeah. Where, you know, there's the zombie outbreak on, in this confined space that mm. you're dealing with that also has to deal with a bunch of young people. And it's not like that. Uh, it's instead, I would say a lot more along the lines of High School of the Dead minus the fan service. Uh, but with just as much sexism, somehow. <laughs> <laughs> they cram it right in there. <laughs> They're like, we squeeze oh, this in. character, sexist, sexist, sexist. <laughs> He's an art. Uh, you know, I, I, I think this series on one end impresses me, and on the other end, I just, I hate every moment of it. I don't, it's a weird blend of the two of them. It's not a series that is 100% devoid of any, like, talent. Cause there's, no. um, for, for example, there's, um, and this is, a sort of a late game spoiler, but I'll try to be kind of vague on some details. Um, Glasses Guy, whose name I'm not gonna remember, I saw I had his names up, but I, I didn't have them pulled up here. Um, he has a, a flashback that we ha- see happen later on towards the end of the series that starts to give you a lot of context for who he is. And the flashback in and of itself is not bad. Now, I think a little bit of it is kind of undercut because everything in humanity, when it's at its worst, is this exaggerated visual. Like, everyone, when they're being evil, has the most contorted face and will be like, their eyes will be bulging out of their head and their tongues will be like shooting out of their face and they'll be like screaming, ah! Like, they'll, it's always like 12 when it should be dialed back quite a bit. And maybe you could say that's, you know, their way of to say, like, oh, humans are all like rage beasts when you think <laughs> about it. I don't know. Um, but the, the fact is that there is something there where you're like, okay, like, you're able to write a good story here. The issue is just that everything around it is very strange without enough explanation for me at certain points. It's a little bit like uh, Gyo at times. When you just, you see something and you're just like, why? And although Gio, I've come to recognize, was self-aware to a certain extent, there's just like a point where like the characters are walking around and they're like, oh, hey, there are seals. And all the seals turn, they have human faces, and they're like, I guess people are seals now, too. Like, rage beast seals are a thing. And they're just like, oh, I'm gonna eat this other seal. And that's, that's really it. Like, that's just the whole part of that, like, thing they introduce is just to have evil seal rage beasts that eat each other. And you're like, all right, like, it does parts of itself effectively. It, it, it does things like, you know, like any kind of zombie action series nowadays does. Like, oh, hey, one of the characters eventually realizes they've been affected for a while and are going to kind of have to, you know, play to the fact that zombies don't attack one another. And they're going to have to use that for some kind of sacrifice before... They turn, you know, that's something that's just kind of exists a lot in this sort of fiction now. And I appreciate it. I like it. I, I see where these things work. But the zombies in the series are just so strange and weird. It's hard to like, after you see what they can do at the start, you start to wonder how these characters could possibly survive. When they first make that initial visit, like they leave the prison and they take that van, they're driving away and the zombies are matching them in speed. Like they look at the like pedo- or odometer or uh, yeah speedometer speedometer, and they're like going at sixty miles an hour, and they're like looking behind them, and zombies are just fucking just hoofing it behind them at that pace. Like what the fuck is happening? Like one lands on the roof and just pries its way through the ceiling. You're like, Jesus, these things are super fast and super strong. 
But then every other time they need to encounter them, it's like, well, thank God they managed to get that bullet or knife off into the head quickly enough. Like, I guess, I guess their super speed only really comes into play when they're chasing down cars. The perfected being, uh, that, uh, like the next evolution of humanity or whatever that controls the zombies, uh, they end up calling it the book, the book horror. And they explain that in its presence, it, they will just like manipulate everything. And so they can base zombies can essentially do impossible things like run super fast and, uh, just kind of latch onto each other to make this, you know, huge body of corpses, like in like that one, uh, enemy in Gantz. And then when that thing's not present, then essentially the zombies are just, you know, these generally speaking, just these shuffling, stupid creatures, Unless they're the dog type zombies. Because there's those two and there's never really an explanation as to why exactly the transformation is different for some as opposed to others. They explain how one could become a Bokor as opposed to a regular zombie, but they don't explain why some of them are become seals instead. Uh <laughs> <laughs> that that's who they were on the inside, Nick. These were people who were born to be seal cattle in the new world. <laughs> um, I think the series is probably at its best when it dives deep into who the characters are. Uh, when you get uh, Newman's backstory, when you get Iwakura's backstory uh, from when he was a child soldier, uh, when you get a bit of the backstory of the one two seconds into the future guy. There's also a, a, a continuously running thing with uh, a guy who joins their group called uh, Hanabata because uh, he has his zombified son with him and he's like not willing to give up hope that he can cure his son. And it works out surprisingly well for the group to have that around. You would think that, you know, it's like, oh, well, within within 10 chapters, this kid's going to break loose and is going to infect somebody in their group and they're going to have to put both of them down. So, well, you would think that, but. Hmm, not actually. <laughs> Things worked out really well, actually, for so, once. Um, and what makes that, what's surprising about that is that out of all the characters, Maeda is the one that you don't really get a lot of information on. I kept on waiting for the explanation as to what really happened uh, with that crime that he was convicted for. It, it, did he actually commit it and he's, you know, blocking it out? Uh, who was it that actually committed the crime if it wasn't him? Uh, and you never get that explanation. You just kind of have to believe that he's a good person, I guess. But, you know, you kind of come, the idea in the, in the setup is that you're kind of meant to grow attached to these characters in spite of the fact that a lot of them aren't particularly good people. Uh, Newman is clearly got tremendous uh, issues stemming from uh, parental abuse history that have really screwed him up. Uh, Iwakuro, you know, was a child soldier and has had to deal with a lot of trauma. Um, and Yoshioka, you don't really get a full backstory for either. You get hints of like uh, a little bit to show that you know he's not such a complete all the way down to the core idiot douchebag because he has attachments to a family that the zombie apocalypse has taken away from him. And admittedly, 
the rapport that goes grows between the four of them, it is clear that they do care about each other or grow to care about each other over the course of the series. And the more that you see them actually look out for each other, save each other from uh, harm is, you know, it, it's pretty effective at building up. Okay. You know, even if I don't particularly care for this cast, I can at least see that they care for each other. And so I can see where the stakes are. Mm-hmm. I think that the problem is, that there eventually is an idea that works its way into the series where the author just wanted to be like, well, see, what if the zombie outbreak wasn't a plight on humanity? What if it were the next evolution? And so, (laughs) which is not an idea that's particularly new, but they really do just like, just hone in on this thing. And like, they have this whole, thing that apparently becomes the crux of the climax of the story, which is Maeda having to choose to be a human or to become a zombie god thing. When you really don't know enough about him to have any stake in what his choice is going to be. Because, again, you don't really learn too much about him over the course of the series. So, Yeah. Um, I think... In general, where I kind of feel about this series is I'm not a big fan of it, mostly because it's it's way of delivering in its horror is something I've just never found an appeal. Now, granted, we're, we're, we're going to run into that thing we bring up every Halloween month where it's like, you know, Halloween month, our one theme month. Neither of us are big horror fans. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and that's, the, you know, that's the true thing here too, where it's like, I, I, I don't get it. It's that same sort of thing, not the same level of attack on Titan. Um, uh, but it is that thing where it's like, I don't know. I just kind of like, I don't get, uh, like, I don't feel fear when I read scenes of like these zombies mm-hmm. just eating each other. I just get revolt. Like, like I feel revulsion from it, which is not mm-hmm. something I particularly feel like I want to like engage <laughs> with that. Like, I don't, I can understand wanting to engage with fear, but not with revulsion as much. Um, and because of that, because that's the main crux of, like, what happens when these zombies attack, especially at the beginning when it's all, like, cannon fodder people getting killed over and over again, um, you know, it, it sort of bores itself on me. Like, I just kind of get tired of it and just end up flipping through the chapter quickly just to kind of get through it. Uh, because it's not an incredibly dense series either, you know. You're mostly spending time looking at visuals for a while. I think it starts to get better once it moves towards that end and it starts be more about exploring who these characters are and letting them kind of be the story that's told kind of like a walking dead that doesn't just kill its cast every five minutes. But, um, I still don't know how much I could really like praise the series for and recommend it to people. I I think there are people who will definitely enjoy it, but I don't know who necessarily that's going to be. I guess if it's just your big horror fan, you might be able to dig into this, but, um, I guess you also have to be into somewhat like sci-fi stories or like stories that deal with the idea of like a next evolution in humanity or things like that. Like there's just elements that are kind of all over the place that makes it hard to pin this one down for me. I want to talk a little bit about Daisy, one of like two female characters in this series, one of whom is just scientist lady. Um, (laughs) So, uh, at about midway through the series, um, they, helicopters arrive and, uh, the people are like, we're from the United Nations and we're here to save all the survivors. And the prisoners are like, woo, 
yeah, we're rescued. <laughs> Hot dog. And and they are told basically that uh yeah, the zombie outbreak is actually confined to Japan, so we're going to uh see if we can get you in touch with your loved ones and then we're going to take you offshore to, you know, to places where you can start a new life because Japan basically has to be raised to the ground. And so they're like, all right, cool. Um, but everyone in my Ada's group is just kind of like, yeah, they're bullshitting us. <laughs> <laughs> and the explanation for why they, why Yoshioka first suspects them is literally that Daisy, although she's not called Daisy, she's going under a pseudonym at this point, uh, is too hot to be in the military. We're just kind of like, okay. That um, sound logic? Sure. I mean, the way, the method that they use to uh, um, determine this is straightforward and pretty clever. It's just that they ask to be put in touch with Maeda's family. And they're like, yeah, they're safe. But they know for certain at this point that they're not. Uh, so essentially, they're just, you know, getting in the prisoner's good graces by telling them everything that they want to hear. Oh, yeah, yeah, your, your families are safe and you can go off to the blah, 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 blah. And they do this in order to disarm all the prisoners so that they can't put up a resistance and they can actually slaughter all of them because they're not actually part of the United Nations. They're part of a cult and <laughs> a cult that wants the next evolution of humanity to rise because they think that the Bokor, the thing that controls the zombies, is actually Jesus, um, which in a, you can actually kind of see the demented sort of logic that causes that to be the case because they see him essentially walking on water. Uh, they, and also, you know, the apocalypse has pretty much happened and he gets morally injured and then gets up. So yeah, whatever, all that stuff. Um, at the end of everything, uh, they managed to defeat all of this, these cult members, uh, and kill all of them except for Daisy, the one female member of the group. Um, and she becomes traumatized at the end of this fight. Uh, and when she wakes up, she has reverted to have the mind of a child. And so she latches on to Hitotsu Kabuto, who is the guy who can see into the future, and latches onto him and calls him daddy. It's not and that's all she all. does for the rest of the series. <laughs> this manga is a weird... I don't know. It's got, it's immature in that way where it's, it really doesn't need to cater to that alpha male mindset. Uh, I think because if it were to take less of a glorification of it, I think that it would be more effective, you know, show how these like prisoners are assholes to each other, for example, and show the bad side of that. And there are a lot of things that could have really been explored in the setup like you were talking about at the beginning, like with the, the dynamic between the surviving guards and the prisoners. Uh, what if, you know, the remaining people who are in charge of the facility are trying to hold like a semblance of control over them, even though their infrastructure is broken and they're like, no, we've got to, you know, do this in order to survive. But what if they're, you know, um, not as effective leaders as, as one of the prisoners would be. You could have a, a civil war break out inside of the prison over that, uh, there are so many different things to explore in terms of that setup, you know, 
having the remnants of human society being devolved into anarchy because of the nature of the people who are there uh, and the need for an order to arise because they need to work together in order to survive. There are a lot of things that you could really do with that. And the idea that you have in place of that, of the next evolution of humanity, is not really fully formed. And so I think that in general, this was a waste of potential, not a, a completely bad series, but I feel as though there really could have been more from this, especially if you see the things that are good about it and you see the potential that there was for a, just a better story. I think the one last thing I want to bring attention to is, uh, I, I can't remember his name. The child soldier guy. Uh, you mentioned he's a lot like Chad. Right. I want to call him like knife Chad. I think what, what I enjoy about this dude is a lot of the time he'll show up. Like he's Chad who's effective because he yeah. kills a lot of zombies. He's the only one who really has any like actual combat experience in the group. So when shit gets real, he's the first to do it. There is a weird sense of action in this series. So one of the first things he does is like, Breaks this guy's neck. It's a zombie that's turned. Breaks his neck, like twists the thing's neck around until it's completely twisted. And like, it's a zombie though. Like, and he's a special zombie. So it's not just dead because its neck's broken. You can see it's like still looking around. And then he does something that like, palms it. And then the head just explodes. Like, just a <laughs> fucking fountain of blood. And he's just like, you want to get up now? You're like, what happened? What did you do to its head? It's just gone. And there'll be scenes where, like, he'll see him, and he's just like, guys, please, let's talk about this. Whoa, I have two katanas now. And you're like, where were those? Where are yeah, you he, pulling these just things? randomly has a pair of kukris stowed in his tank top. <laughs> I feel like they were, like, inside of his shoulder blades, and he just pulled them out. He's like, open these up, pull those out. Hey, guys, I got swords now. <laughs> He's he's awesome, but absurd in that way. Like, when he does things, you're just like, I don't know what you're doing and how things are dying so effectively. Like, he'll show up and be like, knife through the thing's head and pale it into the floor, and then his head will explode now. You're like, what? You know what? I don't even care anymore. I'm just going to go along with it. You go, knife Chad. He was, I think, one of the saving graces of the series, because he, he seems like the most likable character, honestly. <laughs> Like you get the you get the story of how he ended up getting him put in prison. It's like, oh, well, that's fine. Then. <laughs> yeah, I think that's also a pretty uh, interesting element. Is they they do pepper in some foreshadowing to things, like uh, the first chapter when Maeda sees him, he knows he has bullet holes in him, like mm-hmm. bullet wounds. So they do plot out and like kind of tease some of these things effectively in ways that are appreciated. But like I said there's there's also just levels of weird immaturity that kind of really I think damper my ability to fully like get behind the series. There's mm-hmm. moments where it works and I appreciate those, but then there are just a lot of moments where it just doesn't work at all. And uh considering that I don't care for the, you know, zombie element of this series whatsoever, it's tough for me to give us any kind of like endorsement, wholehearted recommendation. Mm-hmm. All right. With that said, I think that we're now going to move on to the recap portion of Weekly Manga Recap. Uh, we're going to start off as we normally do with My Hero Academia. And let's see here. Go to, go to that page. Come on. Go. go. Page 184. 
There it is. All right. Number 155, Saviors, the Saved and a Hero's Place. Okay, then. Uh, we start things off seeing where Aizawa went off to, or was taken away to. Uh, it's uh, by uh, he was captured by Chrono, and who has him basically completely disabled because he used his time slowly down powers, which we get a full explanation of, saying that uh, he uh, his hair is like clock hands, uses them to attack by shooting them out, and the targets he hits become slower, but he can only extend his hair when he isn't moving himself. So he apparently becomes stationary in order to do that. But uh, he has hit. Uh, Aizawa with the hour hand on uh, his clocks, which means that Aizawa is going to be super slowed down for a full hour from this. I have to wonder if um, it's more difficult for him to hit people with the hour hand than the minute hand, you know, because the minute hand is longer, or maybe it goes out faster. Possibly. I do like the idea that the hair is the actual, like, catalyst to this. Mm-hmm. It's a weird, weird way of doing that power, but um, I'm intrigued by it. And uh, from there, we go to where Deku is continuing to fight against Overhaul, uh, still struggling mildly because Overhaul can, you know, just like send out freaking spires of rock to attack him, and Deku can't really get close to him. Uh, and Deku is, you know, thinking to himself, like, okay, I've, I've got the timing down, I think, but I just can't seem to actually dodge them. Uh, and all he can really do is just smash the ground in order to kind of throw off his aim. Uh, he tries to finish off Overhaul in one shot by bouncing off of the ceiling and going for this this massive axe kick, and uh, which he refers to as his Manchester Smash. I thought that these were supposed to be USA I, names. Nick... I have been a big fan of My Hero Academia since the beginning, but this new fucking UK version of it can go fuck itself. I'm not kosher with this. Deku, no, you're done. You're done. You're dead to me, boy. I don't care about you no more. It's it's My Hero Academia, not My Hero H E R O U Academia. <laughs> yeah, fucking. Do they even have academies over there? I don't think they do. <laughs> they don't have school. <laughs> they probably don't. Yes, there um, are Manchesters in the U.S., but there's not... Obviously, if you say Manchester, the first thing that comes to mind, though, is Manchester, England. You know, you don't come... Mm-hmm. Think like, what about Manchester, Maine? Like, I don't know. Overhaul, however, is able to dodge the attack, and Overhaul just basically says, yeah, you're fast, but the other two that I've fought, they've got way more combat experience, and so your attack patterns are way more predictable, so... And he does something, uh, but we don't really see exactly what it is. We just kind of see blood flying up in Deku's face. So I'm sure he's okay. He's fine. He's doing great. We cut down the hallway where Lemillion is trying to get Aerie away, but he finally uh, collapses. Uh, he's been through a lot recently. Um, lost his powers. Saw his sensei get his arm literally cut off. We were talking about this last week, I think, where you, you know it was just enough that you could tell what was happening. But in this one, no, you see the arm actually like uh, coming there. off. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
And you also see uh, one spire that goes pretty much like dead through the center of the chest, yeah. which is so uh, that's going through his spine and all the stuff in front of it. So, ooh. and uh, maybe Recovery Girl is like nearby, <laughs> like really nearby. Lemillion <laughs> is just done basically at this point. Uh, he's almost completely broken emotionally. He is physically exhausted. He's lost blood. And he just can't keep going anymore. And so he tells Ari that she has to go somewhere and hide. But and Nick, what? don't you mean scary? <laughs> Me no hurry. Me no hassle. Do you do another one? You, since you have seven spooky phases, you just sing about the toilet a lot, though. That's a good advice, though. You should wash your hands, guys. Say something a little spooky. I knew what you were I'm going to say right before you said my it. Duty. <laughs> duty. <laughs> okay. Stupid. It's a scary, Nick. So, Lemillion <laughs> says to Scary that she should go and hide somewhere and that another year will be uh, coming by soon in order to save her. Uh, but as we go over to Overhaul, Overhaul's just like, ah, well, it's kind of, that kind of hurt a little bit. Oh, well, heal it. Because he can just do that because, well, it kind of sucks. Hmm. Um, and uh, he starts to mock Deku by saying, yeah, well, Lemillion was just as tenacious. The potential of those who refuse to give up sure is something, but this will be another death on your hands. Is that what you really want? And he says this last part, shouting it down the hall to Airy through the uh, mouth that he got from, uh, what's his name? Uh, ne- 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 the Eight. <laughs> yeah, him. And uh, we actually get a flashback of uh, Ari where um, she was, you know, getting blood drawn out of her for the bullets and stuff, and people saying, oh, she, she's reached her limit, her body can't take anymore. And so then from there, she's like, just like, all right, well then, time to reset and start fresh. That's, Ooh. that's some fucked up shit. That's some existential Ooh. shit I feel like I couldn't deal with as a grown adult, as like a small child I couldn't comprehend. Like, wait, how many times have I been murdered and remade? Yeah. And Ari comes back down the hall and approaches Overhaul saying, I saying that she doesn't want this. And Overhaul says, yeah, hey, yeah, look at that guy. You think that that kid's going to defeat me? And she says, no. Well, then what should you do? And Ari says, go back to you and then don't hurt everyone anymore. Make them better again. Mm. That's what's what's so tragic to me about this is that she was holding it together. It was just literally to the point where Lemillion could not physically hold himself together anymore. Like, he just... 
he's trying to keep going. His body just gives he out on him. He still hasn't given up, even after everything. His spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak and spongy, as Zap uh, <laughs> Brannigan said. And... Is he having sex with her? What the fuck? <laughs> no, I'm just using a great Zap Brannigan quote. <laughs> Which is after he had sex. I know, but hey, it applies to all... It, Nick, it's a very Catholic saying. It applies in a lot of situations. <laughs> uh, but, like, you know, he has that moment where he just can't physically go anymore, but he's trying to. A, a and, broken hero's unwillingness to give up in order to save a little girl, a guy who wants to have more snoo snoo. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they're roughly equivalent. They're about the same. Uh, but that's that's what's so tragic to me is that it's only because of that, because he physically can't, that she realized, she's like, I guess this just isn't going to work out. And it's just like, that's fucking tragic. Like, that dude is doing everything in his power. To save her, and he just physically can't go on, and because of that, she loses, like, her, her nerves. That thing holding her up, and she was, they were, you know, so close to saving her, and she actually turns back at the end. And also for, for a very, you know, little kid kind of reason, which is like, you'll stop this and make everyone better, right? He's like, yeah, sure, and then I'll continue my evil plots to rid the world of superheroes. So, and, uh, and he well, actually does spell it out specifically. Yeah, Lemillion was giving her hope, but that faint hope he gave her was crushed. And don't you get it? What Eric considers a burden, she doesn't want your help. And yeah. And at this point, Night Eye is like, Midoriya, there's no changing fate now. We can't secure her. So, and I've seen it. I've seen the future where we're killed and Jisaki escapes. So we're done. He doesn't say this out loud, but that's basically what he saw uh, in the darkness, apparently, uh, when he used his powers. And Deku says, so what? And uh, he says, even if we're butting in where we're not wanted, you're crying, Eri, so nobody's dying today, and you're getting saved! And he crushes this giant fragment of rock that still was sticking through his ankle, just yanks it up and crosses it in his hands, and... He's like, yeah, go Deku, but before he can do anything, Nida is just kind of like, well, you're going to lose, but at that moment, there's a rumble, and Ryukyu and the giant uh, that she was fighting burst down through the ceiling with Froppy and Uraepity, uh, and uh, they just crash into the into the arena. Yeah, so that's a weird ending, where I'm like, Okay, uh, I'm curious to see how this goes now. <laughs> I guess uh, a new fucking set of contenders have entered the fray. Mm-hmm. Um, I did notice that you don't see the other member of the big three in there, the uh, well, classmate that's with them. Um, oh, yes. Yeah, her right. name. Yeah. I, yeah. But I, she's part of that group, so I don't know if she's yeah. not in this shot or... If there's something else to that, like maybe she's out getting Sun Eater. I don't know. Uh, I'm excited for this because I was really worried that these characters were going to be just outright ignored. That like it would just be like, oh, well, they beat that dude off screen. Because of course they did. There was three of them. I mean, what are you going to do? Um, so it's cool that these characters are here and, you know, doing thing. I, I don't know what they're going to do, but it's like, okay, there's still new elements here to shake things up, move things, you know, keep things on our toes. Um, and because Toga is still around and has Uraraka's blood, you know, you have to wonder if that will play into things at all as well. 
Oh, they're uh, both in the same location. Yeah. yeah. Um, and she has Deku's blood too, I think. So, um, it's an interesting situation here. I just didn't, like, I don't know how to process this end because I was really like, I was like centered in now on like, all right, this is Deku versus Overhaul. He's going to be going at it. He's not going to let Aerie get taken. He's not going to let her give herself up. He's going to go for it. It's hero time. Oh shit. But like three people just crashed through the ceiling. <laughs> And a dragon, too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm interested to see where this turns out, but, uh, I mean, it was a very effective uh, lead-up to that twist, I will say, where the heroes are seemingly at their darkest moment, where it looks like they have just failed. Uh, even though Deku's not willing to give up, things really don't look don't, aren't looking too good for him, and then all of a sudden, well, pff, remember these characters? <laughs> In theory... Could Overhaul fuse himself again with the big guy and become like a giant one? That seems terrifying. We don't have a reason to believe he he can't, so. I guess maybe there's the idea that if he keeps fusing himself with other people, maybe like it starts to deteriorate after a time, but I mean, there's no evidence to that, so who knows? That's a terrifying proposition, though, if he's just like, I'm going to become a giant, like, fucking Goro-armed fucking super god. (laughs) All right. Okay, so next we've got a chapter of Astra Lost in Space, chapter 43. Uh, so we had to reveal last time we talked about this that Charse was the secret saboteur, and he revealed at the end of everything that he is the son of the king. Not the son of the king, a clone of the king. And uh, we get a flashback to Charse's childhood at the beginning of this. Um, and... Uh, we, you know, we're seeing him meeting with the king and uh, the king saying, hey, I heard you got hurt. And he's like, yeah, sorry. I wanted to catch a stag beat on a branch and I slipped and fell. He's like, you know, but it's a, it's a, it's a common injury. So I'll be fine. He's like, what's your duty? Um, I'm going to be your new body. Right. So take, take fun care of yourself and don't get hurt. And you're going to forfeit your life to me one day. And tries to just like, yep. Okay. Sounds like a plan, boss. <laughs> he's just known this essentially since he was a tiny little kid. And uh, that he's just kind of been kept that way. I actually had a book when I was younger. I've still got it somewhere in here uh, called The House of the Scorpion that uh, was built around this premise of just a guy who was just raised so that he could die for someone else the entire time. And uh, it's it's an interesting thing, you know, to get into the, the mind of a character like that who just is brought up like that. Um, and, uh, event, you know, we see that there are little bits of, of happiness here and there. Oh, he, he got to read about animals and he was really taken in by them. And he got to spend some time with the, with the princess who was pretty much the only one who knew the secret, uh, his secret purpose and was, you know, nice to him. So there's that. Um, as he puts it, like, oh, we would st- take strolls through the castle grounds, observing the insects and flowers, and those were my favorite times. I knew of no other entertainment. So that was all, I, so I thought that was all there was, and I was content. And uh, then he turned 17, and uh, he was told, actually, you need to kill your- yourself and all the other clones, because this is illegal. Okay, bye. <laughs> Here's a wormhole portal gun. <laughs> like, sweet. Um, hmm. 
But uh, the way the charts puts it is that uh, he was just you know, was like, okay, yeah, my life belonged to the king. I was a mere vessel. I had no business having a purpose in life. I knew that, and I accepted it without question, and that was the way I had been raised, after all. And so we catch up to the present, and everyone's hearing this, and it's just... Ugh. And uh, Charles says, the king's orders are absolute. Thus I became an assassin and attempted to kill you all along with myself. And uh, uh, Aerie says, well, what about that story you told us earlier? You know, about that girl that you found in the, in the, in the trauma and all that stuff. And Charles is just like, uh, I made most of that up. Uh, pretty good for a story I made up on the fly. So, okay. I, I'm getting the feeling as we get more and more into this, it's like, Okay, you're not being entirely truthful now either. Why should I believe you when you've been lying for 42 chapters, Charles? <laughs> He's like, no, for now, it's now all... Now I'm being honest. I hate you all. Everything's for realsies. You guys are the worst. Oh, uh, man. And, you know, Zach is like, why would you go this far about this? I mean, you could have followed our plan, made this public accusation and stuff, and Charles says, no, my life has belonged to the king since I was born. The rejuvenation project may be over, but if the king tells me to die, I will obey him. And uh, when uh, Kanata is about to say something, he says, you don't understand. If it is for the king, I will gladly die. Doing as he wishes is happiness to me. And uh, he just you know shrugs off all the accusations and all the defenses people have for stuff. They bring up how religion is and government and all that stuff are outdated concepts. Um, but Charles says, well, you know, who can blame people for doing the horrible things for the reasons that they did in that time? Because, you know, they were raised that way, that they became that way. That's it. And... Hey, if I wanted to kill you all for my reasons, yeah. And he says that he's actually satisfied with his life the way that it's been. He says, I can hold my head up high, head up with a, with pride eh, and shout out, I have a wonderful life. And, uh, people are still like, you're lying to us. <laughs> you thought of us as friends. And you're just like, get away from me. <laughs> I don't have friends. I'm dark and edgy now. Oh, God, give me your hat. I'm the edgy one now. <laughs> Girl, gonna grow my brains out longer. And just pull them down enough to be fine for now. I oh, know, now I just look like Peter Parker. I gotta dance like a douchebag. Have you ever watched that uh, that scene with no uh, realistic audio? It's fucking glorious. I <laughs> just went like, what's going on? All right, bye. <laughs> oh. <laughs> It looks even goofier doing that too. What's that moment where you're like, that's how it was in universe? <laughs> um, but yeah, is like, look, we made it this far together. Uh, we helped each other and I won't let you say that we aren't friends. And the, for a brief moment, you see Charts's, uh, expression falter and he shoves him away and says, no, I don't have any friends. Um, and Kanata then says, okay, well, if that's the case, why did you shut down the sphere twice before? You know, you could have just kept it going and killed us, you know, on the way back on Vlavers and again on this planet. So why didn't you just do that? You could have succeeded at that time. And Luca's like, yeah, it must be because you didn't really want to kill us. 
And Sharf says, no, I would never hesitate to carry out my mission. The reason I stopped was so that Ares wasn't accidentally dragged in. The theory is off on one major point. My goal now isn't to return home to Astra alone. It's to take Ares home with me. At first, I did mean to kill all of you, but then I remember how I said I changed my mind. That was because I'd finally discovered Ares. When I first saw you at the spaceport, Ares, I couldn't help but see the resemblance. In the force of Lavir, you told me you had a photographic memory. And then there's your most unique trait, your heterochromia. That's when I knew your genetics had to be identical to hers. The king has an only daughter. You, Ares, are the clone of Princess Sarah. Bum, 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 bum. Maybe Princess Sarah is evil and also the betrayer. My theory could still be right. <laughs> Interesting. And, uh, I mean, they were making a big deal over who uh, Ares' uh, mother was. And uh, now we see, oh, that makes sense, doesn't it? <laughs> Guys, Ares is Sarah backwards. Yes, it is. <laughs> Nick, hold on. If you spell Ekans backwards... I think it spells snake. And if you spell Arbuck backwards, it's and you can't, sp- <laughs> you can't spell very well. <laughs> <laughs> if you spell muck backwards, oh wait, no, don't do that one. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and if you spell uh, Pikachu backwards, it's... So anyway, this chapter of Astra. <laughs> but Nick, don't you mean Batstra? No. Boston Pumpkin Spice! <laughs> so lame. <laughs> um, yeah, well, so, honestly, this, I don't know what it is, because it's basically the same reveal two chap, two chapters in a row, like, I'm the clone of the king, you're the clone of the princess, but this one seems, like, more effective to me, because I th- I feel as though we were getting these like hints of things being important leading up to this, as opposed with Charles, where things were, I think, a bit more played to the, ch- you know, close to the chest. Didn't let too many more hints creep out. Um, so this was, uh, this is interesting and it's going to be interesting to see where the heck things go from here in terms of what Charles decides to do or what Aries decides to do for that matter mm-hmm. with this new information. Um, is there going to be like a, is it just going to be like the confrontation that Luca and Olgar had where things are resolved peacefully or is there going to be more of a, a struggle uh, between the group here? And I could see this taking a bunch of different directions, including perhaps this driving a wedge in the group. So. It'd be tough because I've I've become so used to the Breakfast Club in space at this point that I'm just like, no, you guys all band together and you play pranks on that principle. You know, that's that's what you do, you know, and then you write a letter that really kind of just like says, fuck you and your assignment. We didn't do it. <laughs> uh, do you think they stayed friends after that? <laughs> no, God, no. <laughs> I know that like two, I know that like four of them paired off and the geek was left as the fifth wheel. But do you think that, like, any of them stayed friends? <laughs> uh, no, no, almost certainly not. It's high school. You don't, 
<laughs> you, you don't keep that much in touch with friends from high school, unfortunately. I'm not, I'm not talking about friends from high school. They were still in high school. They, they did any hang out together after that point. I mean, I'm sure they got another detention. They fucking didn't do their assignment. <laughs> they That's didn't do point. shit. <laughs> it's like, Club two, Breakfast Club 2. Do the fucking paper this time, assholes. <laughs> That one didn't do as well in the box office because this time they didn't have any like dancing or stuff. They actually just had to sit there and work on an assignment. Um, and uh, at the end, at the end, instead of that one guy just holding his fist up, he's it's all five of them walking together and it freezes on them holding up the paper that they've written this time. <laughs> all handed it to the principal at the same. Don't you do do do? They're like, here's another uh, fucking Simple Minds classic. And they're like, shit, in a Simple Minds song. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have one. Fuck you. <laughs> we just did a cover of Don't You Forget About Me, then. Yeah. Speaking of covers, Nick, can I just note this super off-topic to- uh, tangent, but That's fine. what the fuck with that new uh, Justice League trailer? That I didn't even watch it, so... It is the worst cover of Heroes. Like, it- it's it's less of a cover... You know, like, David Bowie did the original, and then Peter Gabriel covered it. And that one's kind of become more iconic recently. It's been used in a lot of stuff. It was like the Lone Survivor trailers and Stranger Things. It's been a lot of different things. They had somebody, I don't know who the fuck covered it. Somebody covered that version of Heroes. It is the worst shit in the world. It is terrible. You're like listening to it. You're like, just either use the David Bowie one or the Peter Gabriel one. It's still like, it's, it's everything they do already. Like it's, it was good enough for soldiers. Like you, you, superheroes needed a more edgy extreme version of it. It's terrible, Nick. It's terrible. Okay. I just need to get that out there. Okay. That's fine. Yeah. All right. So. I think that's that more or less covers it. I I, I will have to see what happens here. I guess. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I think that we've completely gotten off of the of the tracks here. Let's talk about Doctor Stone, Chris. No, we don't talk about Doctor Stone yet, Nick. We, we don't? talk about Boot Wars. Oh, I'm I'm not even looking at my lists. So. Shok Boogak Boodo Bo So Boo. Or is they so mommy? There you go. Got it. Every Got time it. that I every every time I add something new into my list, I always forget the order. So. <laughs> All right, it's food horse time. It's uh, chapter two thirty four. You're through. Uh, Azon has a master plan to defeat Takumi, which we learn about in detail in this chapter, and it's it's a very foodie thing. So I'm just gonna like. I guess that will work. Okay, then. <laughs> but we'll get into it. Um, Iz, Izan heads into the food storehouse. But, and, Nick, uh, don't you mean a zombie? Ooh, it's fitting because of the series we did this week as well. Yeah, it's not bad. It's not bad. <laughs> I, got cro- I got props. I've <laughs> got a couple of props so far. Yeah, he heads into the storehouse and he thinks to himself, Poor Aldini, all your dreams and your fragile pride are about to be crushed. Buy this! What are you writing down? I'm tallying the props. Are you props tally I'm marks getting... for the number of props I give you? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Negative one prompts. No! Oh. <laughs> it was so short-lived. <laughs> 
uh, we see that uh, back inside the kitchen, uh, there's you know more activity going on, and then we see that Azon has mm, what size, what unbelievable juiciness, what a handsome, huge hunk of roast beef. It would be so easy to just sex up right there. Like, come on, so many euphemisms, three in a row, four maybe. I'm not sure. I mean, if you just take out the term roast, it's pretty much already just a giant what a handsome, huge hunk of beef. <laughs> it's like, are, are we talking about uh, Reiji, Reiji from uh, Food Wars or Reiju, whatever his name was? <laughs> um, we see American Flag Bikini Girl reacting to it. She's like, oh, you cut the roast in just the right way. Yeah. Um, also, he has a bunch of uh, measuring spoons. He's going, mm. and held between his fingers like Wolverine claws. You mean that thing that I did when I was a child and you wanted to feel like you were Wolverine? Except I yeah. did it with pencils, obviously. Yeah. Duh. Everyone does that. Is that a universal thing? Yes. I, well, as soon as you get a new set of anything pointy that can fit between your fingers, you put them between your fingers and use them as Wolverine claws. <laughs> I'm asking and if you don't do it, you're lying. That is true. I, I just, you're depriving yourself of that joy, really. I just well, I wanted to throw that out to the audience to see if that's that's a universal truth among us or if we're just both dorks on an equal level. I mean, we are, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's a bit of talking between the uh, members of Polaris because they're like, "Oh man, his meat looks so good," and everyone's like, "Hey, don't praise that guy." Remember what that guy did to our dorm? And they're like, yeah, kill him, Takumi. Yeah. So Azon's like, oh, I'm going to choose this moment to be a douchebag. Oh. Uh, he he says, like, I'll admit that even if what I did to your dorm was for the sake of the new administration, it was still pretty crappy. I just have this tendency of doing things that make people hate me. You know, like, you hate me, Right. You know, at some point, we're definitely going to do a weekly manga recap lives where you're doing eyes on and I'm Takumi, and it's just the, that voice going up against, I'm here to win, I'm It's very yeah, dumb. Takumi proclaims that he has no grudge against Azon. He's just focused on victory, but so many things like, ah, well. He's putting up on a, on a good front, but it's clear that uh, he's you know, just pretending to be calm because, unlike his words, his aura is blazing even more recklessly out of control. Just imagine Takumi is like, I'm going simple sand! Ah! <laughs> Nick, no. He's going primal instinct super saiyan, you know? So the black hair, everything else like that, he's going new form. But he can only hold it for a brief period of time. Nick, what's going to happen? Who's going to win the Tournament of Power? There's only 23 minutes left in it. So, it's like 40 or so minutes long? I don't know. <laughs> 40 more episodes? Takumi basically gets to the point where he's pretty much ready. Uh, he is going through his final steps, puts on the sauce, layer of meat, chopped white scallions, mozzarella cheese on top, and then he goes to the oven. Yay! <laughs> That'd be great if he was like sitting there intensely. They're like, I've never, his duty is studying is exactly the pinnacle of all the skill he's worked for. He's like, <laughs> <laughs> he's not even looking in the oven. He's just looking at the egg timer. He's got to sit on top of it. <laughs> 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 
Sakumi, can you help me by like preparing something for my dish while you're sleeping? Shut the fuck up! What are you doing? You're breaking my concentration! I have no idea what I was at. He's staring at it backwards now. He's like, great, you made me lose my place. He's just staring into the oven. He's cross-eyed now. (laughs) Slowly falling closer into it. (laughs) (laughs) She's like, there's a timer. (laughs) You said you were going to make the... You said you were going to make the crust for my apple pie. <laughs> He's like, later, you don't need that. She's like, I need I do. It's an essential component of a fucking pie. I literally can't go forward without this part. Uh, anyway. So Azon uh, decides to be like, oh, now to be a douche. Uh, he says, looks like that piece of yours is a delicately assembled dish. I'm betting that adding any additional seasonings after it comes out of the oven will be pretty hard to do. And Takumi says, so? <laughs> what of it? And Takumi says, oh, just that you're done for. You lose. With as a great shot of Azon, honestly. Like, it makes him look douchey without being hideously douchey, you know, with the upper angle and stuff, uh, the sinister expression and just the, the long form his body takes with the, you know, long spread of the panel. So it's a good shot of him, I think. Effective. Mm. And also he's being a douchebag. Yeah. But it's also like, mm, eyes on, I feel like you should stop taunting before. <laughs> He's so going to lose now. Like, <laughs> like I'm, I'm seeing here. I'm like having flashbacks to that time the Giants were playing the Eagles and they were up by 21 points, and I was like already starting to shit talk some people, and then like watching them slowly lose. Like, oh, oh, I should have waited till the game was over. Oh, what a fool I was! Oh no, I'm just every invited team, this. Every team, every team in history has one of those where it's just like, ha ha ha, we're gonna win. Oh wow, no, we're not. <laughs> For for me, it was Monday Night Football, like, uh, Bucks versus Colts, where like Rondé Barber like got a pick six on Peyton Manning to put us up like three touchdowns, and they still came back and won. It's so brutal watching it happen. Like, Fucking hell. Um. Anyway, so it, everyone's like, "What's he laughing about?" And Azon says, "You know that cream sauce I'm making? Well, it has a secret ingredient. Guess what it is? Guess." Your Frankie, sper- what do you think it is? <laughs> Your sperm? Oh, no. Oh, I'm no. sorry. I just heard no. cream sauce and got distracted. <laughs> you need help, Frankie. <laughs> it's all jokes, by the way. <laughs> it's all jokes. And, uh, and he says, like, oh, behold, the chemical component. Oh. Uh, he says that they have a bitterness component called cyanurine. <laughs> An acid known for messing with the taste receptors on your tongue. In fact, its effects are so pronounced that whatever you taste directly afterward, even if it's a cup of pure water, will seem extra sweet. And Alice is like, yeah, he's right. I know this because of chemistry. <laughs> Two things. One, I love that like this manga showcases how little either of us enjoy science to the point like when science comes up, we're like, so it's like this thing, it does this stuff. Look, I, I'm sure it works. But two... This school of the best chefs in the world are like, artichokes can do that? It's like, have you never fucking <laughs> worked with artichokes before? 
Even if you never, if you don't know the science behind it, you should know the way that ingredients play off of each other that way. You have to have at some point used artichokes in anything if you're at this school, this school for the most elite chefs in the country, and this entire like auditorium of students like, what the fuck? Artichokes are magic. So what he explains is like, oh, that shigurani beef of yours, it's meant to be a tender sweet dish, so you made sure to simmer the meat good and long. That's sexy. Shut up. I'm being evil. <laughs> now, and he says, now let's say that hypothetically before the judges taste your pizza, they just so happen to you just they use a ton of artichokes. What do you think will happen? Your pizza needs at least another 10 minutes to finish baking. No matter how you slice it, ha, huh, because it's pizza. You see what I did? You'll never, mine will be done first, yeah. And once the judges have tasted my dish, your pizza will taste like a thick, cloying, and sticky sweet mess. The umami flavor of the beef will be so underwhelming, it might as well not even be there. And they're like, hey, that's not fair. Judges, you should disqualify him for doing that. And they're like, that's not actually against the rules. They're like, why would we do that? Did he sabotage his dish? Did he like? Well, I know no, we've, but, but, but I know we've joked about how if you were in food wars, you'd run over and throw feces into the opponent's dish. That would be cheating. This is actively just choosing to make a dish that would make his less enjoyable when had afterwards. And it's a very effective way of you know showing that kind of you know Azon way of doing things, just to be this underhanded scheming asshole, and not even really doing a head-to-head confrontation with Takumi, but doing this very underhanded way of taking him on. Like, it's almost as though he doesn't actually have confidence in his own skills <laughs> over, over Takumi's. I wonder if... Now, obviously, their their dishes are going to be judged head-to-head. <laughs> the, ju- the judges are like, we don't like artichokes. No! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they all start picking them off. They're like, ew, artichokes. He's like, but it's not real! <laughs> I don't like artichokes. Why didn't you make me want to eat this? Oh, now that I don't have, I haven't had this artichokes, this pizza is delicious. <laughs> but I, I do wonder if the way it functions is, I, I on put his dish out. Can someone from Soma's team put their dish in next? It doesn't necessarily have to be Takumi. Because the thing I think about when I see this, I'm like, remember how Megumi specifically built a dish once to help the judges because she knew that her opponent would be putting the taste in and she wanted to compliment that and help them. I wonder if that may play into it. If they're like, she could see Azon or someone's like, I know Azon style to basically try to sabotage it. So if she has her dish come in next as a palate cleanser, as a way to kind of like break against that, I wonder. It's entirely possible. That's, I mean, these guys seem to have very, you know, uh, Everything kind of planned out in terms of their group dynamics. So, I wonder if they'll play into that because that's what I first thought of when I saw the strategy. Is like, oh, it's almost like the inverse of Megumi's like thoughtful style. It's his Azon super douche style. Mm-hmm. And then after he's like on this, he's like, all right, anyway, more artichokes. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you, artichokes everywhere. <laughs> Uh, he proceeds to mock Takumi, saying that uh, you're too soft. You don't have the smarts or flexibility to stop and think first. You don't now, and you sure as hell didn't then. You get so caught up in your own wounded pride, you don't realize how it gives you 
tunnel vision. And let me be honest with you, Aditi, I can't help but think that if it hadn't been your Mesolur stolen that day, if it had been his knife taken instead. And he's like, oh, I bet someone you could hear would have won easily. <laughs> and then he makes just like, <laughs> Yeah, and then he, then he orgasms. <laughs> That is an O face right there. <laughs> that is a horrifying O face. If that's the O face you're like you're staring never back at, this man th- there are, the mistakes have been made. You need to like never like just immediately be like we're done. Like quietly walk up, leave the room, <laughs> put on pants, <laughs> Bur- burn your phone, <laughs> your house, maybe everything. You're like starting new. <laughs> clearly, clearly, I've made too many mistakes in this playthrough. And uh, Azon puts out his dish, his Ezio Azon edition bewitching beef roast, and the judges start to eat it, and that's where the chapter ends. That's just it. I'm not gonna lie, it does look pretty fucking good, though. Which I that has a trillion artichokes on it. It looks pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I hate artichokes, but it does just look like a pile of roast beef with a fucking poached egg on top, which just looks so fucking good right now. Holy shit, I have had fucking a Pop-Tart, and a protein bar today. This is why I'm really hungry. All right. <laughs> oh, man. Good chapter, though. All right. Now we go to Dr. Stone. Yes. But, Nick, don't you mean Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hydestone? I'm just going to get this up now. You can give me props. Doesn't make any sense. Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hydestone. Makes perfect sense. He's like a whole. Well, he's, it's the doctor part, Nick. Obviously. Okay, I guess. I'm gonna take that as a yes and just mark that. Down. All right, cool. Z equals thirty. Death Green. With a really, actually, very Halloween appropriate um, cover page with the the uh, half skeleton mask that Senku's got. See, I can't enjoy this cover page for one very big reason. I, I I don't know why I immediately lose interest in any visual where a female character is in there and you can see, like, the back ass cheek between their <laughs> legs. Like, if you ever look at the, the cover art or the title card art for the original Vi in League of Legends, if you, like, look between your legs, you can see a little piece of her butt, like, the, like, butt cheek behind her legs. You're just like, Why? Why would you draw that? It seems so weird. It doesn't seem anatomically correct, first and foremost, but second of all, it's just such a weird element to add. And I have that same thing here, where I'm like, why is her butt, like, floppy down to the back there? (laughs) So, as promised, Senku makes Ginro a silver spear. And Ginro's like, ah, I'll have a silver spear! Um, and Seiko's like, hey, remember, I told you, you have a job that you've got to do in order to earn that spear. And he's like, okay. And he says, your job is to protect the team. And Gindra's like, I'll be a bodyguard. Woo! He's like, imagining, like, carrying Kohaku, like, bridal style, all protectively and stuff. Yeah! This is going to be great! And, uh, as they set up on their way, uh, he says, all right, so, so Gindra, stop playing around. Keep the spear pointed forward. That silver will act as a sensor. It's made, it's why I made it in the first place. So keep your eyes on the tip because if that sparkly silver spear turns black, you've only got a few seconds before you're dead. 
And of course, this has the exact effect that you would think it would have on Ginro, which is that, you know, they're walking around trying to find whatever it is that Senku was looking for, and Ginro is way behind them, slowly scooching forward, holding the very end of his spear. There's birds flying over him, shitting on his head because they hate him so much. Even talking, too. Like, the birds just broke the fourth wall to be like, what a bitch! <laughs> just like our birds talking people in this universe and no one comments on it. Senku is just like, well, no, I mean, the scientific order, we we made, I don't know, your ramen, and we did glass, and we obviously invented talking birds, and uh, we're, we're looking next on uh, sulfuric acid. Wait, wait, That's <laughs> Wait, talking talking birds? Yes. Yeah. There, you yeah. see them up there. We didn't have a whole chapter dedicated to it, but yeah, we invented talking birds that poop on people and <laughs> ridicule them as they go by. We invented shitty stand-up comics in the form of birds. <laughs> <laughs> they just do crowd work all day. They're like, ah, oh, so where are you from? No, oh, my head. Uh, Senku says, like, look, stop walking behind us. You're completely defeating the purpose of this. And I like how Kahaku's like, you know, I can handle the spear if you're too much of a coward to come up here. Like, no, no, I'll do my duty. I like my spear. <clears throat> uh, but so he does take his position at the front and uh, he spots something as they come over a hill. And uh, the way that Kohaku puts it is, like, I don't know what we're here for, but it's fucking clear that this is where we're supposed to be, because holy shit, they're in front of an emerald green spring. Uh, this beautiful little spring at the top of this hill, which puts in everyone's minds the image of this busty angel calling to them like a siren. Wow. All right. So I didn't pay enough attention to this visual the first time through. And I know Baidu has been known for his uh, sexy art before. But this is one of those visuals where, like, as you pay more attention to it, you start being like, huh, I don't understand. Like, because she's wearing stockings and then there's clearly just skin just falling out over the top of just like why would you wear stockings that tight if like the rest of your skin's just gonna fall over the top of it i don't know is that i guess that's something that's assumed to be sexy like she's like oh that bitch dick but to me i'm just like i feel like i would get stockings that fit better (laughs) um i'm being practical also maybe uh i don't know underwear seems like you maybe would want i don't know it seems also hot she's wearing well she's wearing a toga so, I don't know why you would wear stockings with a toga, though. I don't know. Anywho, so, uh, they talk about what's going on here, and uh, Senku's a little more concerned with than everyone else because, you know, he knows what he's fucking doing. And uh, he says, look, the topography here is concerning because there are toxic gases in the area, like hydrogen sulfide and sulfur dioxide, and they're heavier than air, which means that they accumulate in this basin. Um, and, uh, Chrome's like, oh, okay, so the silver spear will detect toxic gas. And Sink says, yeah, that's exactly right, because when it reacts with hydrogen sulfide, it will turn black instantly. And we see, uh, Ginro is just kind of like sneaking forward with his spear because he's like calling, being called by the, by the siren. Uh, in, at least that's what the idea is. But, oh, the tip of the spear turns black. And Senku immediately is like, get away from there. And uh, Kohaku yanks him back away from the edge of the spring. A crow flies past him. And the flock of crows immediately fall dead. What an asshole. Oh, God, no, why? Yeah. 
<laughs> Pretty much. And what did in, we do to deserve this? Yeah. And in Ginro's mind, the, the siren is very pissed off at him. And it's screaming, ah, just one step and you would have been together forever with me. Uh, and they see that not only are the crows dead, but they're melting in the water. And uh, Senku explains, uh, yes, this forbidden nectar was discovered through research on alchemy. In modern times, it was at the core of all sorts of industrial chemistry. Sulfuric acid. Bum, 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 bum. I want that image of the melting angel to be like a Yu-Gi-Oh card. That looks awesome. <laughs> yeah, it is a pretty cool visual. It's honestly, it's worth it for all the cheesecake shots to get that visual for sulfuric acid, honestly. Mm -hmm. It's a pretty cool uh, shot. So everyone goes back uh, to their little Kingdom of Science village. And uh, Chrome is observing, so we've got all that sulfuric acid stuff in the way, so without it, we can't actually make a, a cure for Rory, right? And Senku says, yeah, man, also we're at a dead end with chemistry altogether if we can't secure the source. So Kaku's just like, okay, but gets a bunch of jars. He goes like, I'm going to take the brute force approach and I'll risk my life as long as it takes in order to save my sister because, you know, I'm super fast and I should be able to... And Senku just grabs her by his like, mm, okay. So... There's this little story about a team that was investigating an area with sulfuric acid like the one we found. The man in front noticed his shoe was untied, bent down to retie it, and when he was approached uh, by his students who were behind him, he was already dead because the gas was low to the ground, so when he bent over, he inhaled it and immediately died. If Mother Nature wanted, she could wipe out humans in a flash. You might be quick, Kohaku, but this is another dimension of danger we're talking about. So, essentially, no, your approach will not work. And so everyone's like, well, what are we going to do then? Because we have to do this in order to you know, save my sister. And Senku says, then in that case, we need to make gas masks. The surest way to beat a chemical enemy is to fight back with some chemistry of our own. But And so we just kind of get a quick little time skip. Don't really see the process of making the gas masks. Just see the kind of uh, putting the finishing touches on them. But uh, Senku thinks to himself, you know, we don't really have a way to test these. <laughs> uh, we can't exactly do trial and error because error means dying. Um, and uh, so after he thinks about this, video, you know, Chrome is getting a, a mask for himself ready. And Senku says, hey, listen, you're not coming on the asset collection trip uh, because you've got to stay here because these masks are not a guarantee. And if the two scientists here both bite the big one, who's going to save Ruri? So listen well, because you're about to inherit all I've got. All two million years of humanity's scientific progress. Ooh. What does that mean? He's like, here's my Palm Pilot. <laughs> the charger's broken, but you'll figure it out. You'll figure it out. I made, we made a Dymo. Crow <laughs> just looks at it and is like, why do you have a palm pilot <laughs> he's like i know i'm from the stone age but even i can tell this is outdated bullshit from where you were from <laughs> he's like it can play snake i like snake it's a fun game could you play snake on a cell phone <laughs> no it's all touch scrolls rolls now i need keypads good point so yeah, interesting little chapter. Uh, I like the use of visuals uh, in terms of the way that the sulfuric acid works. Also, I like getting to see a bit more from Ginro and his horrible selfishness and cowardice. Uh, 
spend. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see. And I wonder if we're going to spend a little bit of time with Senku, like trying to teach Chrome, leaving notes for him, and just take a break before they head back on this uh, acid recovery mission or what they're going to do. I assume we're going to be picking up the pace still because the series moves relatively quick. It doesn't spend too mm. long in any one part. So I imagine we'll get something that he shares between the two of them. I do hope that Ginro gets a, a cool moment, and I assume like, maybe he'll go along with them again and have his like big moment to shine, because I don't know if you could say he had a big moment here. He held the spear out, it turned black, he had to be saved, and then he was like, let's go back! <laughs> so I would like to he see... he cried in the corner while everyone else was planning. <laughs> yeah. I'd, uh, I'd like to see if he, he basically gets a cool moment then, or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Yeah, we'll see. I, I do like this chapter. I said the visual of the sulfuric acid is like a decaying angel was very cool. And uh, just a lot of cool stuff in the chapter. I'm excited for it. Yeah. All right. Next up. Uh, yes. Next up is We Never Learn. Chapter question 34. An illustrious veteran sometimes serves X. Get another uh, color page with like poses with the girls and stuff, and then a follow up with yeah. jokes about it. I, I initially all these seem to all of these cover pages seem to focus on the fact that Ogata's tits are huge. You notice that? I mean, it's the easiest joke to make considering like most of them are kind of like cheesecakey fan service shots. So I can understand. I actually was gonna say like I really like Fumino, uh, Fumino's costume. I was like, that looks kind of decent. It looks yeah. like a cool costume to wear. Um. And also, also, she wears stockings that fit. <laughs> yeah. Also, I didn't realize her hair was blue. I guess I did realize it, but I just never realized it until, like, it never sank in until now. Hmm. But, no, I do like it. I was also, though, I was like, but wait a minute. What about uh, 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 new girl, Asumi? Shouldn't she be in this shot? Come on. I guess, I guess not yet. Uh, I also do like in the comedy page, they, like, have a joke about, like, oh, uh, Ogata's, like, this costume, you know, doesn't fit very well in the chest. And they show Yueka, who's in, like, this fucking, like, giant pumpkin costume. And he's like, oh, don't worry, I didn't have much time to sew it, but I'll, I'll reinforce it if you don't mind waiting. Every, like, everyone's watching him, and they're just like, what a good boy you are. You'll make a great <laughs> bride one day. Like, you're, you're such a great housewife, essentially. <laughs> I just, I think everyone's just like, Yueka, you're such a good boy. You know how to sew fucking costumes and shit. <laughs> So, this chapter starts off and actually progresses for a while in a way that you're kind of, like, palmed to the face. So, it starts off with Karasu Senpai, so, who is with uh, several of her colleagues. They're going out drinking, and they're like, hey, let's go hit up another bar. and Let's connect about our passion for educating young minds, which I can't tell if that's just a pickup line. Like, he's just like, hey, let's go to this bar and talk about the fucking future education of our youth. Or if this dude's just, like, really passionate about his job, and he's like, come on, guys, the night's, the night's still young. We can hit up three more bars and talk about how much we love educating today's future children. Literally all the other teachers are just like, I hate children. <laughs> Everyone's like, I, I just, I, I hate my job. I hate everything. I hate children. I hate teaching. I hate every part of it. And there's a guy who's like, let's talk about our passion for the education of our youth. <laughs> Shut up, Chad. Uh, but Kersey's like, nah, I'm going to go away. And, uh, you know, one teacher's like, man, she's such a mystery. Ah, but I bet her private life looks just like this. And they're all envisioning her in, like, this gorgeous apartment, like, drinking from a fancy wine glass and an elegant gown as her, like, 
fancy cat sits atop her lap as she reads her very tiny book. And I like it because we all know the truth is like she sits in like a fucking gym uniform, like like tracksuit in a shitty, filthy apartment, <laughs> like eating cup ramen and shit. Uh, and she even follows it up. She's like, can't wait to get home and change into sweatpants. Uh, but as she's walking by, she sees Uega uh, headed into the maid cafe. And obviously she stops him. Uh, I like the three panel exchange that Uwake is clearly having with like the big burly like like bouncer as well, where he's just like ha 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 like walking oh, away. Buddy. <laughs> and she like, grabs like, what the fuck are you doing here? And uh, yeah, she she dresses him down like, what are you doing? This is not a place for 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 minors. This is the adult district. And uh, Ashby comes in and stops him, and uh, we find out that she was you know we already knew that she went to the same school, but she also mm-hmm. was another one of those. Uh, tutored students of Kirisu. And they have a bit of a, a back and forth here. I'm like, oh, I haven't seen you since graduation. And uh, I, I do like that Ashley continues to just be the shit stirrer of things. Like, she starts getting chastised by Kirisu Senpai, who's just like, you know, don't call me my few sensei. And what are you, what are you doing working at a place like this? She's like, I graduate. I'm not listening to this bullshit from you anymore. <laughs> I really like that, honestly. Just like, I don't have to fucking listen to you anymore. You're not, not, not my teacher. Up yours. Yeah, I guess she's like, she's like fucking doing up her heritage. She's like, I'm not listening to this nonsense. And then she goes in, she like rubs up against fucking Uega too. She's like, and we're just doing serious schoolwork so you can go home, sensei. Uh, they, they start like both of like latched an arm around Uega and are like tugging on them. And, you know, Ashley's uh, starting to kind of like, Taunt her a bit too, like, don't tell me you're jealous. She's like, don't be ridiculous. And then she loses her grip, slaps one of the other maids, like, what should I say, slaps, knocks her over, and injures her ankle. And they're like, oh no, we're now down a maid for the day. What will we do? Well, it turns out it'd be okay if they just have a substitute maid for the day. And, hmm, I bet Kirisu could wear a maid outfit. And that's what happens. Kerosene is the maid for the day. So we get a couple uh fan servicey shots of her in a um, French maid costume. So blatant. <laughs> it is absurdly blatant. And the, literally like the the second image you see of her is just like, and this is what her ass looks like in it. <laughs> yeah. There's another one of those perfect shots where the speech bubble looks like it's coming from her butt. <laughs> Yeah. Like, it looks like, we, well, oh, you can't call sensei. sensei here. <laughs> it's not even her talking. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and she has to practice her lines and everything like that, but she's really shy and intimidated. Uh, I like, I like Yuiga's reaction to it, which is that his, he apparently shoots like Cyclops eye beams <laughs> out through his glasses. Yeah, she's like, welcome home, d- darling. And like, <laughs> like fucking laser beam shit out of his eyes. <laughs> and uh, I do like his phrase, this inner thought too. I'm like, oh no, I'm afraid something might wake up. <laughs> it's like, ooh, he's like, I think a fetish is being born. Uh, and, and essentially, the joke that continues on through here is just that uh, Karasu is a clumsy maid. She's like spilling things on herself. She falls, and like a bucket of water falls on her. And like all of the guys in the store are just so, like they're just like, oh thank God, she's the perfect quintessential clumsy maid. This is too perfect. <laughs> I like how even they're just like, I mean, you're working in the back. You don't even have to talk to people. It's almost as like I don't know why you're even wearing the maid costume if you're not interacting with the customers at all. It almost just seems like. 
intrusive to make you wear it if you're just gonna be like cleaning shit in the back. But whatever. But All here's the employees the are having too much fun doing it. Uh, clearly, so yeah. But what 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 works is what comes essentially after this point because everything to this point is like man it's another like and this is what i assume the maid cafe was introduced to the story to do for like more yes. fans i assume there's some scene where ogata's going to have to work in the maid that the other that the, the other three girls didn't all end up having to do this by this point already the, yes. and then you can have a, a joke about how you know, Ogata's one is too tight around the chest, and oh, Uruka just, you know, I don't know, wears her swimsuit underneath her her maid uniform and all this crap, so. Yeah. Uh, I assume they're saving those for the future, for future chapters. But what I like, then, is everything that comes after here, because Uyuega immediately starts helping, uh, you know, cleaning up the spills and everything like that. And Karasu's like, what do you, you know, I made the mess stop. And she's like, no, you know, it's better if everybody helps. Nobody can handle everything alone. So let's get this cleaned up. And, you know, Karasu's thinking about how interesting is wherever Uega goes, he's always trying to help everybody. And essentially what happens afterwards is they, they have this celebratory drink for a good day of work. I've never worked in a work environment this supportive. Like anytime somebody had to come in to fill a spot at the end of the day, it's just like, well, that fucking sucked. I hate this place. I'm going home. Fuck all of you guys. I'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> like it's never like, let's raise drinks for everybody pitching in and helping out one another. <laughs> it's just like, hey, uh, Chad, I think your name is. Did you manage to get dairy caught up? Yeah, I think they're fine. All right. See you tomorrow. It's just like, you fucking cocksuckers. I hate everybody here. <laughs> Sorry, I exposed too much of myself there. Uh, so, you know, they have a little bit of a, a revelation here where they're talking about how Asumi uh, was another student who was taught by Kirisu and how she uh, is still trying for med school despite Kirisu t- saying, like, you stop, it's not worth, you know, investing yourself into this. And, uh, you know, Ogata or Uega has a bit of a conversation with her about it. Like, oh, you were in that? She's like, yeah, my grades were solid and everything but sciences. So she said it was unreasonable to go into medicine. I was wasting my time. But having her oppose me to the very end has actually boosted my determination. Because to achieve something really big, you got to have the drive to overcome some major obstacles. And she never encourages anything I do. And she never actually says it. But I think she taught me that. And... It's a really good lesson to kind of learn. It's that sort of motivation thing that sometimes having animosity in Mm -hmm. your goals is a pretty good motivator for actually accomplishing it. That desire to prove somebody wrong can sometimes be a big fueling uh, factor. Then apparently we find out every fucking person in the uh, We Never Learned world drinks like fucking this. They don't. They're just like, okay, time for time for a drink. It's not just an Ogata thing. No. Yeah, there's, there's like, the thumbs are to not come in contact with the glass. Uh, she also takes one sip of alcohol and just fucking passes the fuck out. Because uh, I guess she's just that much of a lightweight. And it, it, it ends, honestly, like, with them, like, him taking her home. But it ends on a, a fucking hilarious joke in my mind, because Karasu's just like, You're a good boy, Uega. You work so hard. You work, you build trust and support with people, and you give so much. It's so impressive. And he's like, wow, sensei, does that mean you support and also... And she's like, and you wear glasses every day. That's so responsible. (laughs) And you can walk upright on two legs. Plus, you feed yourself so good. (laughs) Just so good at breathing. (laughs) He's just like, oh, so you just compliment people when you're drunk. Like, she's like, you've existed so long for so good. You're so, oh, you're such a good boy. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> you sure have ten fingers and toes. <laughs> you have two eyes, and you've kept them so open and looking. <laughs> I'm so impressed. <laughs> you do you do so much for your parents. <laughs> oh God. So that's the chapter. I, it, yes, it, it was one that started off very uh, cheesecakey at the start, which was unfortunate. Uh, but that's sort of what the series does. But ultimately, it turned into something really entertaining by the end of it. So I enjoyed it. A lot. I did. I did really like the ending message. I liked the note that uh, we had about uh, needing that opposition in order to actually really test her determination. And uh, uh, seeing that vulnerability from from Carisu once they get all of the sillier jokes about her out of the way, the punchlines are is on that last joke is really good. So. Yeah. Okay. Uh, from here, then we're going to do uh, the Promised Neverland, which is uh, on chapter fifty-eight. I'll so, be back real quick, by the way. Sure thing. All right, I've got to get through all this before Chris can get back and tell all the stupid puns. Uh, it's Chapter 58, Decision. Last time, the kids managed but to But, get- Nick, don't you mean dead, Ma? There you go. I got one in. Bye. Just real quick. I didn't even say Emma's name yet. <laughs> I didn't give him props. So, last time, the kids managed to get the guy who still refused to tell them his name to agree to escort Emma and Ray to the apparent meeting place with William Minerva. And uh, before we get all of the, you know, like, deep stuff uh, done, uh, in terms of, like, Emma trying to get to know the guy, uh, the revelation about stuff um, that they're planning to do and all that... Uh, we get uh, his nicknames for all of the characters, uh, and some of them are, pr- are pretty good. I like how, the fact that Ray, he refers to as Sleepyhead, specifically because Ray just hasn't gotten a lot of sleep in this one instance. Uh, Emma is Antenna, of course. We know that already. Uh, Don is Beanpole, which, yeah, okay. And then uh, then we've got Gilda is Richard Four Eyes. Two of the kids are curry ingredient and pizza ingredient, and my favorite of all of them is just nose. Nose. It's not even like, he doesn't have any description for me, it's just nose. Um, we see the guy uh, talking with uh, some of the younger kids, who the ones who are, of course, going to be left behind. And he's like, all right, now you're going to repeat after me. And he has them go like, don't mess up the rooms. Don't mess up the rooms. Don't come into my side. Don't go into your side. Okay. Yeah, right. He goes through all those and break a rule and you die. One of them immediately holds up a teacup and says, no! Gilda is really upset with the kids because... Um, she doesn't want them to piss off the guy because she thinks he's dangerous still. Um, but no one else really seems to be that worried about him now that they've got him under their control with the detonator and stuff like that. Um, we get a bit of a recap of what they've got to accomplish and when they've got to do it by. And, uh, they've got to definitely do this. 
Yoda brings up her concern that the guy will not actually help them until they have managed to meet with Minerva because he doesn't seem to really care if he hurts or kills them. And maybe they, he's just going to, you know, wait for his chance to abandon or kill them. And Ray says, yeah, that's pretty likely, but you know, he would think of that. Or maybe he wants us to go through a horrible experience outside. Anyway, um, they're very much just taking this kind of whatever, uh, things, things will probably, probably be okay. Uh, they bring up the point of him bringing the gun out. Uh, let's see. The, 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 what, I forget what the hell this point is. We're both trying to figure each other out and use the situation to our advantage, and that's what this trip is going to be. Obviously, it would have been better if he would have, if we could have cooperated as solo escapees. He was the one who said, oh, okay. I, I guess Ray kind of brings up like, no, it was okay for us to threaten him this way because he was the one who started it, so. Time passes, they get to a point where it's one day before departure, and Emma kind of corners the guy inside of the room where there is stuff scrawled on the walls about poachers, and there's the tally marks and everything. And uh, Emma asks, hey, can you tell us what the poachers are? And he says, I told you to stay out of my sight. And she's like, I'm not on your side. I'm behind you. Fair enough. He's like, you fucking rules lawyer. <laughs> you know, and she bombards him with a few questions like, where are the poachers? And why did you stop searching? Where, where are your, what happened to your friends? And the guy's just like, I'm not telling you. And uh, he then kind of switches gears and says, you're a, a good family, and that's why I hate you. You get on my nerves, and it makes me sick, and I want you to disappear. Could you even understand how one decision could ruin everything? The fear of your ideals and decisions killing your friends. And so you're planning to just live in the human world, your whole family. They're not useless. All of them are necessary. I look forward to seeing if you can still say that after this journey. And I was like, you know what I hate about you? Clearly you spend time, like arranging your beard to look like this with like little <laughs> lightning bolts, but I don't understand how, like, it seems like it would take far too much time. He's like that. That is the mystery of me. Yes. Uh, he then goes into the main hall and with an umbrella, which he jams into the top of the piano in there in a, in a particular place, which opens up a secret passageway. And he says that this is the final preparation before we leave. So come on, let's go on our journey to hell to find Minerva. And he leads Emma and Ray down into a fucking arsenal. There's so little, like, we only get to see, like, their quick expressions in that, you know, big panel. But I feel like everyone, like, I feel like they need to be like, what the fuck? Like, we were getting... That's 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 the face that Emma is making, but Ray's just kind of like, don't fall off the ladder. (laughs) (laughs) He's just like, do we have any, uh, like... Mortar guns, or maybe like, uh, maybe like some of the needlers from Halo. I was really good with the needler guns. <laughs> I imagine Ray just used all the shitty overpowered broken weapons in all the games. Like, he's like, yeah, the 38 shotguns in Modern Warfare 2 are totally balanced. I know you could shoot someone sniped across the map with them, but that's what shotguns are like. You don't know. Can I get the grenade launcher from, de- from, from Left 4 Dead 2, but with infinite ammo? <laughs> <laughs> He's like, we do have one of those, god damn it. Or what was the one the one that you that you couldn't get ammo for? Oh god, the 
repeating God, what was I even called? It was just this massive fuck off gun that you that would fire a bunch of bullets, but you can never actually reload it. So I don't remember. There's a lot of broken like guns in games. Like he's like, do you guys have Odd Jobs hat from the one <laughs> 007 game that's an insta kill every time? Like God fucking hates you so much, Ray. He always plays Odd Job. We play fucking Goldeneye too. <laughs> He always fucking plays odd job and slides around his goddamn knees. He's an asshole. Way. <laughs> this reminds me of when I was a baby. I know because I have all my memories. Uh, it just can we play. Pro- can we play proximity mines? No. <laughs> <laughs> what What's really crazy to me though is we were just kind of getting used to the idea of Emma using a bow and arrow, and it's like. Now she might have a rocket launcher, because we can see a rocket launcher in that panel. Yep, right in the front and center. Yeah, it's pretty terrifying. Um, I, I made a note at the beginning of the chapter that I like that the one kid's nickname is just Nose. Yeah, <laughs> That's it. Yeah, my brother made it into a manga, finally. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I should have, uh, next time, remind me, I should have an image of Nose next to my brother and just see, like, I'm like, which one's which? <laughs> see if the audience could tell. <laughs> I think that they'll be okay. It's a pretty tough oh. game. Um, all right. I, I put images of my brother up against the toucan, and some people, that's not a 100% guaranteed you're going to know which one's which. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So normally at this point we would have seven deadly sins, but um, there again was no chapter this week for some reason. Crunchyroll get on it. What the hell? So I figured that now is as good a time as any for us to talk about the Jumpstart series that we got this week. And from what I gather, it seems as though we're going to get another Jumpstart maybe in two weeks, and then another the week after that. That's when there are series premiering. In the Japanese version of Jump, that doesn't necessarily mean we'll get the yeah. jump starts. Well, we do. In- we we we. Uh, there's an image that shows us we'll get full drive oh, on 10:23, and then we get Golem Hearts in the 10:30 issue. Okay, I wasn't sure that the that had been announced, uh, officially announced. Yep. So for this uh, week, though, we get Lycopene the Tomatoy the. T- Let me see if I can get this right. Lycopene the Tomatoy Poodle, or maybe Tomatoy if you're tomato kind of person i don't have a lot to say about this because it's a gag manga uh and that's just kind of it uh there's this girl named meh meh which is a weird fucking name almost as weird as lycopene the tomatoy poodle um she kind of just stumbles into this kind of candy land place and meets a combination between a toy poodle and a tomato named lycopene and then there are a bunch of gag manga jokes with you know like pop culture uh random slapstick and uh the kind of uh sukomi jackass uh kind of approach to things uh don't really have any much to say about it it's not my kind of humor um literally there are so many jokes where there had to be a caption under the panel, I was like, so anyway, this refers to this thing that happened with this politician. And it's, it's just like, well, I, it's not funny then because I have to read a paragraph about what the joke is. Um, there are some more universal instances of humor, like how Lycopene keeps on uh, falling onto these uh, little spines at the beginning. Like it, it stabbed, he stabs his butt like three times consecutively or something like that. 
Um, and he keeps on doing this joke about how he's a certain number of tomatoes tall and he's apparently obsessed with a certain Japanese celebrity because he keeps on explaining things in terms of that guy. Yeah, but... So there was a, a 9-11 reference in Astro Lost in Space there earlier was. this week. I felt less alienated from that than I have from this manga, where it's just like, man, the cultural differences between us are just so vast. <laughs> I, I, like, I read this, I was like, I don't get a lot of these jokes. I don't understand what's happening. I don't know what fucking Qtopia and Lycopene are, but I hate all of it. I didn't read it until just now, honestly, because flipping through it, I was just like, I'm going to make a judgment guess and say I'm not going to dig this. Literally the only joke that I thought was a little bit funny was that they exchange contact information and then Mehmet goes back home and gets a text from Lycopene and immediately she realizes that Lycopene's account has been hacked and compromised because it's sending her spam messages. Uh, and even it, that wasn't like a ha-ha funny. It was just like, oh, a joke I understand <laughs> immediately. <laughs> I thought it'd be funny if it was like the old Kurt Angle, my account got hacked tweets, where it's just him like drunkenly screaming about things. And then it's him like, my account got hacked, guys. I'm not, I don't have a problem. It's like, Kurt, your account can't keep getting hacked like once a week. <laughs> it's not Thank how God it works. Thank God you're doing a little bit better now. <laughs> oh, it hells yeah. Thank God you found God and your new wife is cool with you and stuff. <laughs> um, yeah, not a whole lot to say. We, I, I almost guarantee we're probably not going to talk about this in the next two weeks. And more than likely, I don't think it's going to continue running in Jump after the usual three-week jumpstart run. But that said, if you liked this... Uh, if you read this and you liked it, you should take the Shonen Jump survey and you should let them know. Yes. Because, especially with this type of series where it's, I guarantee, is going to have a much more niche kind of audience uh, for Western audiences, you should do what you can to let them know that you like it and that you want to read it. Uh, that's the only that's the only way that you're going to keep on getting this translated into, into English, uh, I bet. So. Yeah, that's a very good point. All right. Uh, we're going to go on then to Black Clover. It's uh, page 128, the one who wins till the end. So uh, we get the king up shouting again at the beginning of this chapter, which, uh, which makes me happy because he's just like, No! <laughs> what is it doing? You can't have my permission to do that! But Nick, don't you mean the wing, like of a bat or of a demon? <laughs> Nailed it. So I'm just stupid. hold on. Let me get this up again. I'm just gonna assume they're coming my way. That's three props for today, and that's after losing one. I'm pretty. I'm on fire. You're giving yourself credit for ones I didn't give you props for, though. I can mentally, I'm, you know, what telepathic you connection. Did you call Emma? I didn't even say her name. You just assumed I had said her name. I, well, I was leaving. I didn't know. I wanted to get it in in case it went too quickly. I called her Deadma. No, it's back. Oh, so I don't get one. All right. Well, I'll, no. I'll, I'll, I'll make that up. I'm actually just going to leave that one on there because I don't want to make it up anyway later. Uh, so the Wizard King just uses his time magic and is just like, okay, and freeze. All right, yeah, that's right. I'm broken as shit. I'm going to take you guys over here now, and we're going to set this up because it's going to still be 
Help me out here, King. <laughs> Look at this dude, man. I like how he also still has to call back Sek, who Yami has tied up, and apparently having beaten him around the head wasn't enough because he's just going to cut him in half. <laughs> Yami really doesn't like being caught in the shitter, does he? <laughs> no, I I, I, I can understand. It's you know, it's you know, my time too, but still. <laughs> Um, Nick, uh, what are they fighting about, though? Like, why are they angry? Why are they angry? Yeah. Asta and, and Langris? Because Langris is going to kill Finral and Asta's time. But, him. Nick! Don't you mean... Grimral? <laughs> Sing for me, Frankenstein Toilet! And we'll just start. <laughs> same thing. Yeah, always do the same thing, I guess, to start. But he gives you good lessons. He's telling you to, like, wipe and, like, don't not poop. So don't, like... <laughs> yeah, he's like, let it flow. Poop. Expel your bowels. Wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't letting it flow mean to just pee? <laughs> well, no, let it flow like your bowels. Ah. <laughs> uh, you were a perfect $50 purchase. <laughs> Don't worry. It's why he's still in the box. He's being returned. <laughs> Jesus Christ. $50? No, it's not, it wasn't that expensive. <laughs> but Who would pay $50 for that? But regardless of how expensive he was, he could have been a dollar. I'm still returning this shit after Halloween's time. But like, uh, I decided after a while that I didn't like the... Notion of a creature that just sits in my bathroom and boom, makes spooky boom, boom, <laughs> makes boom, spooky boom. puns at my pooping. <laughs> uh, would you say that they're spooky puns? I would, and he did not ever use that one, so that's why I'm not really appreciative of it. Mm, shame. Uh, the wizard king uh, freezes the uh, two of them, and then uh, after everyone you know comes back, they're like, okay. Just to be clear, yeah, this this is a match, and yeah, we've got the crystal set up there and there, so the first team to destroy the other team's crystal wins. So this is going to essentially be just jumping ahead to the semifinals uh, with these two teams, and then I guess they're going to just carry on with the other half of the uh, brackets after they're done. Um, so... He unfreezes them, and rather than immediately going back and unleashing their spells, Asta kind of, like, pauses to talk to Zerks and Mimosa, which is a little weird. You would think that they would, you know, just have been frozen and continue to run towards each other and fight, but whatever. Um, yeah, Asta's like, hey, uh, listen, I know that this has come really suddenly, but I need to beat that guy, so help me out. And Mimosa's like, yes, I'm gonna, of course I'll help you. And she says, Langris seems strange and something is wrong. Uh... Zerks just is just like just starts laughing and he's like ah ha, ha, you guys are idiots but fine yeah let's do it I love you I love you Zerks fake Zerks um meanwhile Langris his teammates like hey what's going on here do you need our help and like, he's just like shut up I don't need your help you scum I'm going to show you all how exceptional I am that's a big word for someone who's kind of freaking out you would think they would be like how wonderful or great he's just like how exceptional I am. Okay. A little bit restrained. 
Uh, we get a little bit of pondering from uh, the Wizard King's assistant, whose name I'm sure has been mentioned at some point. But anyway. Bowl cut. Uh, dude. Bowl cut. Yes. Uh, the Wizard King saying, like, you know, based on the evidence we've got at this point, it kind of seems as though someone in the Magic Knights is unwittingly cooperating with the Eye of the Midnight Sun. Uh, and uh, he says, well, it's not a spell. It's more like, maybe it is a spell. <laughs> <laughs> the wise and sagacious Wizard King. It's, it's not a-, a spell. It's more like, okay, maybe it's a spell. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, sir, do you know anything about magic? Sure I do. Name Never a spell. He's like... Uh, they're like things that you can do, or sometimes you can't, and <laughs> you do them with magic. Just knocks all the papers off the desk, <laughs> runs out the window, <laughs> leaps out. You won't catch me. <laughs> He's like, Boy, you work no here. No chasing you, sire. Meets up with Zoidberg and Curly Howard. <laughs> all of them just doing a. Jabberjaw's like, can I join you guys? No. <laughs> oh, I got a talking shark! <laughs> Zap it. <laughs> they all just murder. <laughs> oh my god, that talking shark almost got us. Right, let's get out of here. Hey, thank god I got, thank god I had my shark termination spell. What? It's a type of magic where? Maybe it's not a magic. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> can you imagine? Like, someone who's, who's, Magical school was shark destroying magic. <laughs> like I am the greatest shark termination wizard in the land. And how often do you have to use that power? Not very, but when I do, <laughs> one day I'm gonna be in that same situation the Adam West Batman series had, and you're gonna wish you had the shark repellent magic of me. Also, if we go underwater, or. I guess, like here, when Jabberjaw shows up. I guess those are the three situations in which my magic is or useful. If we get a, if we get someone at the door who claims to be Candygram, but he's actually a land shark. Yeah, but be careful because sometimes it's that time wormhole for Master Lost in Space, and I can't do shit about that. <laughs> my magic then actually creates more sharks, which just makes the situation worse. But hey, what do I know? I don't know how magic works. <laughs> Maybe it doesn't make any extra shorts. Maybe it just makes time holes. <laughs> All right. You know what? I can't read now that I've realized it. That I've thought of it. I don't know how to read my spell book. So after after this whole, it's not a spell. It's more like, hmm, maybe it is a spell. His assistant says, his intuition is sharp. My God, the Wizard King's intelligence. <laughs> Surely this is the man to lead us. He's like... He's like looking at, he's like, it's like a jar of like jelly that's facing the screen, like the label space. He's like, maybe this is jelly. No, maybe it's jam. <laughs> or maybe it's jelly. <laughs> it's, just, it's just like, truly the wizard king is the most sharp and wise of all of us. He's got the, he's got Shaquille O'Neal and whoever the other guy was from the Snickers commercial. And he's like, maybe it's caramel. Maybe it's caramel. Maybe it's caramel. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that's a reached a conclusion, and he's still like, my God, the Wizard King is truly the smartest of us all. <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay. Got together. Oh, 
Oh, serious combat scenes. <laughs> All right. So what the Wizard King explains to his assistant is that actually part of the Royal Knights test is in addition to actually forming the Royal Knights group is to bring that unconscious betrayal into the open. When they expand their mana on the battlefield or when they're confronted by powerful mana, people show their true colors. And the guy's like, won't that be dangerous? No, we're doing this. Or maybe it will be. No. <laughs> yes? No. All we'll know is a victor will be decided. Or maybe it won't. Or will it? <laughs> it's just I, guess off the a, I guess you could have a tie. That his brain explodes. Like you just see like steam coming out of his ears oh, at that point. <laughs> even then his bowl cut fucking assistant's like, the wizard king is truly the greatest <laughs> of us all. And I'm like, you know, I'm starting to see how this kingdom is led literally by an idiot king when you guys are like... The maybe, we, maybe we should just let the Diamond Kingdom win. <laughs> well, remember, they're being mind-controlled. <laughs> Heroically. For the good of all. <laughs> oh, man. All right. So, Langris and Asta immediately start fighting, and essentially it's kind of a version of what Magna and Asta were doing earlier, where he's launching a barrage of attacks with that new spell that he was using before, launching a whole bunch of small spatial magic orbs, and Asta trying to deflect them. And uh, Asta's like, okay, yeah, you know, let's do like what we did before, we're going to head for the enemy's crystal, and we're going to guard our own as we go. And uh, he immediately takes command of the situation, actually. He's like, hey, Mimosa, you carry the crystal. Zerks, you're our backup. Um, and, uh, yeah, so good job there, Asta. And uh, meanwhile, Langris is looking pretty scary with all of those magic orbs around him as he rushes in. He's just like, eh, I'll just destroy you and your crystal before you reach mine, then. And uh, although Asta says, like, you know, Magnus Fireballs, they don't change the last second, so I can stop them, but it's just that... He's so overwhelmed. There are so many of them that he's still getting grazing blows. And there's another nasty shot of it taking a chunk out of his leg. Fortunately, he's got a healer right there to help him. Uh, so she, Mimosa can keep him up while they're making their way forward. Uh, and Langris is just, you know, attacking them. And Langris starts to rant about Finroll saying, you know, hey, you know, before I, I'm going to you know, outpace your recovery spells and I'm going to defeat you. And he says, that cowardly loser is no magic knight. I won. That means I am the true magic knight. Uh, yeah. But Asta says, well, a guy who abandoned civilians like it was nothing. Yeah, you witch. Mr. Finro constantly used his magic to save people. And he was like, whatever. That's because that's all he could do. He was just good for moving people around. He didn't have the power to defeat the enemy. And he says, the one who wins till the end is correct about everything. I don't think you're actually correct about that, but, uh, yeah. Um, and we see a little bit of a flashback from Mass's perspective of, you know, him getting along with Finral, them complimenting each other because, you know, each of them enabled the other to do something. And Finral even said to Asta, you know, I think you can actually do it. You can become the Wizard King. And as it says, Mr. Finral acknowledged me, and I'm going to win this. So, there you go. Well, Nick, don't forget, at the very end, the Wizard King assistant's like, this isn't a match anymore. How is this fight going to end, Wizard King? And he's like, it's either going to end with Asta winning or Asta losing. 
or ask the winning. And he's like, God damn, your commentary and insight is just on point every time. Can you imagine like that? That actually, I think, does happen in like some wrestling commentary sometimes, where you just get like non-answers from the color commentators. Like, you know, Michael Cole will be like, "Hey, how does this affect him?" And they just give this very non-committal answer. It's like, They're like, so- well, either he's going to power through it, or this is really going to affect the whole match. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> so, yeah, but um. It's um a pretty uh, all right chapter. I think it's going to be more in the follow through than anything in this one, though. I like the chapter, though. Yeah, it's very cool. Or it's not very cool. Well, maybe amazing it's... insight from Chris, my co-host. There, maybe, maybe it is cool, though. Okay. <laughs> Just what? You know what? Like pops into my mind. I keep thinking of the Mister Bird scene where he's in the grocery store. And he's just like ketchup. Cats up. Ketchup. And that's the Wizard King where it's like, maybe this is ketchup. Or maybe it's cats up. Or maybe. <laughs> Back in the background, his assistant's just like, oh my god, he's so awesome! Oh, he's just like that dude in the fucking, like, you just got burned. Yeah. <laughs> All right, One Piece, Chapter 881, Wave Room. That's right, his assistant is Smithers. Holy shit, it's all coming together. (laughs) The Wizard King is just dumb Mr. Burns. (laughs) But hey, there's a marriage. Yeah, uh, yeah, things worked out pretty well after Don Sai got the crap beaten out of him after having to tell his fiance they couldn't get married. Apparently they're married to Baby 5 just right away. Done. eh, Good for them. Yeah. All right. Uh, so, meanwhile, in you know places where stuff is happening, uh, we get uh, Big Mom about to crash down onto the Thousand Sunny, riding a gigantic wave about to smash down onto them. And uh, I like how per- even Prospero at this point is like, no, 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 ma- Mama, you're going to sink the cake they stole if you do this. <laughs> you're just like, ah, okay. Um, so Jimbe, uh, takes charge pretty quickly, uh, because they don't have enough for another coup de burst. They don't have enough cola at this point. And, uh, he, he has everyone, you know, get the sails ready and stuff like that. And then he just grabs hold of a rope, uh, connected to the mast. And they're like, there's no way that you can do this. You can't, you know, control a sail by yourself. And uh, he asks Nami for, you know, navigation help, asking where the wind is coming from. And uh, he says, I'm going to attack into the wind at high speed. We're going into the green room. And they're like, what? what? Why are you taking us toward the wave, Jimmy? Oh, I get it. The green room must be heaven. <laughs> uh, and he tells them all to hold tight. The wave crashes down. But there is the green room, the inside of the wave that, you know, lip... I guess, because the top of the wave has hit the water first, and they are basically surfing on the freaking wave under Jim Bay's direction, because holy shit, this is awesome. <laughs> I love his way of describing it, where he's like, we've got a good ship and a good navigator. With a good helmsman, this craft is invincible. And so, yeah, apparently he's going to be the helmsman, I guess. <laughs> it makes sense, but I love the way it's sort of built up here. 
Uh, I mean, this is like a hundred percent the confirmation now that Jimbei's joined the Strides permanently. Like we already kind of knew he was, but this is like the like oh, and here's his position, and here's how he's extremely good at it, and it is like an extremely cool moment to show it off. You know, like Frankie's always been the helmsman thus far, but it makes sense having like somebody like Jimbei, I think, actually as like the true helmsman. Have uh, Frankie be like the quartermaster or something, and he's already their big fixie guy and inventor. So yeah. So, yeah, he leads them to safety by just surfing them out of the wave. And everyone's like, holy shit, this is great. <laughs> and Tillman also says, wait, we're not going to die then? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Of course, this leads to a moment of confusion for uh, Perospero because he's like, oh, well, I guess they're dead. Because, of course, they went all the way to the edge of the wave, and he didn't see them slip out, so he thinks that the wave just crushed them. And he immediately reports over to Katakuri, saying, it's like, yep, yeah, everything's done. We've, we've cleaned up here. And uh, I was like, oh, okay, I guess we don't need to invade the ship either. Yeah. Um, but uh, the two long-necked siblings are, say, well, I don't know. I don't see any seawater through this mirror here. And then all of a sudden, the mirror shatters. And... Uh, uh, of course, you know, Nami is following Luffy's orders. Uh, Chopper and Brooke are objecting because Luffy will have no way back. But Nami says, hey, it's the captain's order, so hurry, you know, do this. And uh, immediately a bunch of mirrors in the mirror world start to break as they shatter all the mirrors on the ship. So they are basically safe now. Uh, they've, uh, for the moment, gotten away from uh, Big Mom. And uh, there's no way of people getting onto the ship. Hooray. Um, Nami can still communicate with Luffy through the tiny little shard of mirror that he's got, and uh, he checks in with them, uh, gets the confirmation that they're all okay. Uh, I like the mo- the commentary that uh, Br- Brule is, is having with uh, the long neck siblings. He's like, oh, well, I bet the mirrors are breaking from the water pressure. The ship's sinking. Yeah, that's it. Okay. That, like that, that optimistic dreaming on their part, just like, <laughs> I bet they're all dying. That's probably why everything dying looks like it's horribly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, Luffy's communicating with with everyone else. Uh, they say, hey, we're you know going to be going to Cacao Island because that's where Sanji's going to be working on another cake. It'll take us at least ten hours to arrive. So once you've beaten that guy, find a mirror that leads to Cacao Island, and we'll meet you there. Okay, plans made. Katakuri catches up with Luffy. Whoop! Um, he kicks him really hard, doesn't he? Oh boy. Yeah, I had a little trouble telling a hundred percent what happens here and in these next couple panels as well, because Luffy gets kicked and he like covered his mouth up essentially. Mm-hmm. So. What then happens is, like, we get a shot, and Luffy's, like, stretched his mouth out and is, like, closing his hands around it. And I guess it's he's, like, trying to hide a piece of the mirror in his mouth, which is fucked up. Like, just the notion of, like, a giant shard of glass you, like, are squeezing into your mouth is just, like, a fucking unnerving thought to think of. But I'm trying to figure out why he's doing it. I'm not really sure either. It's not as though they can make their way into the mirror. It's too freaking small for anyone to fit through. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Katakuri is splitting his leg into a bunch of legs so that he can, you know, stomp on top of Luffy, who has to run away from him. Uh, he then spits out the shards of mirror along with a bunch of blood, and he makes a 
you know, a, you know, a, ugh, ugly face, but then he puts on a forced smile, a really creepy looking forced smile and says, all right, you can, this will be over quick. And I'm going to get bored just waiting around. Come back and see, I'll see you soon. And then all the straw hats are like, yeah, except for Jinbei, who's just going to like, Luffy's going to be fucking dead. <laughs> um, and, uh, Kagari's like, oh, you're going to say I don't intend to die here. Well, shall I take that to be our last will and testament? And he turns, like, part of his candy on his arm into a freaking trident of some sort. And do well, Nick, person. of course, have you never heard of sharp-bladed mochi? <laughs> it's all the rage. And Luffy says, I don't intend to die here. Also, her... So, uh, presumably when One Piece comes back in a couple of weeks, I think that we're going to get the Luffy Kakuri fight going into full swing now that the Straw Hats have a bit of breathing room and not as much focus is going to need to go on them. Uh, but it really does seem to be building up that Luffy kind of knows that this is going to be really, really tough. Uh, we saw, we've seen, you know, Kakuri completely outmatch him in basically everything that he can do. So, we'll see. Yeah, uh, I'll be curious to see it. Um, at this point, I'm still trying to, like, I think this is an awesome chapter. I think it's extremely cool. Uh, I've heard some people in the chat are saying that Luffy did all that stuff to keep the crew from hearing him in pain and to hide oh. that. That feels so like. Don't worry about him. That feels like that could have been conveyed a little bit clearer. Cause it's, it definitely could have. It, it's tough to tell what he's doing at points there. Um, but I'm very curious to see how this fight's going to go. I, I think, uh, already, Luffy versus kind of Curry has been a very awesome fight for this year. And I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how it like comes to an end. I do, I do quirk an eyebrow to fucking sharp mochi trident blade, but <laughs> I'll go along with it. Maybe, maybe it's not actually made of mochi. Maybe that's a weapon he keeps inside of his arm. That's entirely possible. Yeah. And it's an actual weapon because it does look a little bit different. Um, so. Hopefully that's the case. But, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I am bummed, though, that we have to wait two weeks to get another chapter. But, hey, Oda needs uh, this time to keep creating cool stuff. Yes. All right. Uh, So we are going to wrap things up now. Do you have a suggestion for what we're doing next in Halloween month? Yes. Do we want to do our MVPs first? Let's do that, and then we'll have, yeah, I just wanted to, okay. Uh, My uh, favorite chapter for this week is My Hero Academia. I liked the just seemingly complete absence of hope that uh, things were getting pushed into. And uh, the fact that Aerie gave up uh, was kind of kind of heartbreaking, honestly, after seeing everything that uh, our heroes had gone through. And uh, then the uh, sudden chance for salvation at the end. So, no, Absolutely. It was a very cool chapter. Uh, I'm going with One Piece as my chapter of the week just because I, I love the stuff with Jinbei showing off like he's the helmsman, here's his skill, getting a cool moment to exemplify that, like why a good helmsman is so necessary um, to just cut right to it. Uh, Jinbei is also my character of the week as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just a great moment for the two of them. It's that stuff about One Piece I love where all these characters and their unique specialties are kind of shown, put in the forefront and given like the best focus. I love that stuff. Uh, it's Jinbei again for me for the second week in a row. I didn't really, I kind of got cut off last week before I could really explain, but I like the way that he took command and impressed upon everyone that, uh, what they needed to do. And this time, not only is it his words, but his actions where he just gets 
absolutely the single coolest single moment of the week, uh, where we just, you know, freaking surfing with a freaking pirate ship. Hell yeah. <laughs> it is supremely awesome. So that is that. Uh, okay. Uh, we want to do a suggestion then now? Yeah, so guys, we're we're doing Halloween month, and obviously with that comes, uh, you know, sometimes we, we want to go with some odder picks that mm. still fit our theme. So we're going to go with one here that when I heard the premise, I ha- I was like, well, we have to do this one. So we're going to be taking a look at Biohazard Heavenly Island, and this is a manga in the Resident Evil universe because Biohazard is Biohazard, the name of Japan. Right. That apparently is about a zombie outbreak on an island during a Japanese bikini idol reality TV show. <laughs> that of oh course my. even includes like canon characters. For, like this is a canon part of the, the Resident Evil universe and has characters like Claire Redfield and things like that showing up. So I'm looking forward to this. Just uh, like the premise alone just sounds like something that's going to be perfect for this sort of month. So, uh, outbreak, uh, Biohazard Heavenly Island is the name. All right. Well, that is going to do it for this week, though. Thank you, everybody, for joining us here on Smashcat, Smashcast, sorry.tv slash RoloT and twitch.tv slash RoloT, where we record weekly manga recap live, usually at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Wednesdays, although sometimes we do need to change things up to stay up to date on our changing schedules. You can follow us on Twitter. He is at RoloT and I am at YRulerOfTime. And you can also follow the official podcast Twitter account at WMRPodcast. Be sure to check out our past episodes on weeklymangarecap.podbean.com as well as on our YouTube channel and on iTunes. And if you do that, be sure to leave a comment and rating to help us beat the woodworkers and become kings of the hobby section of iTunes. Be sure to send us feedback, ask questions, suggest future manga for us to read. If you want to do that stuff, the best way to do it is to send emails to weeklymangarecap at yahoo.com so that we can keep track of all that good stuff. You still have time to send us suggestions for Halloween because I think that we might have time for one more mm-hmm. Halloween manga after we're done with Biohazard Heavily Island. So if you've got any that you really want to put in at the last minute, well, we will still be taking those into consideration. Special thanks to all of our Patreons boards. Your support allows us to create all sorts of bonus content for you guys to enjoy. We really appreciate all the help you guys give to us. Yes, absolutely. Uh, let me load this up real quick because I know we've had some new patrons this week as well. Um, I thought I had this up before, but I may have accidentally closed it. Special so. thanks to Steve Manor <laughs> Well, I'm giving you time to look it up. Okay. Special thanks to Steve Manor You can check out his work in a bunch of different places. He has his own Patreon uh, where you can check out some of his not-safe-for-work stuff, as well as, for free, you can check out the title cards that he makes for us. Um, and, of course, Infamous Planet for making the frame that you see around us. Yes. A special thanks to Ahmet Rashid, by the way. Ahmet Rashid, for being a new patron. Fist bump, bud. Thank you very much. Your support is greatly appreciated. All right. And, yeah, hopefully next time we will have, I think that, well, it looks like it's a pretty short series. So, yeah, next yeah. week in Biohazard. It's about an outbreak on a bikini idol contest. This shit's not going to be dense. <laughs> I think we immediately get into it. It's like a discussion about Russian politics in the Cold <laughs> War. We're like, wow, this is actually a lot more complicated than I thought. <laughs> All right. That's going to do everybody. Thank you. We'll see you next time. And we do longer recap. Any closing thoughts? Pooping Frankenstein toy? Me no hurry, <laughs> me no hassle. This your throne and this your castle. Just relax, friend. 
Let it flow now. And be sure to wash your hands before you go now. <laughs> I'm in your house. I'm what was that? <laughs> All right, bye, everybody. Shit, where's that stop button?